0: Note, for
1: maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR.
2: In Citizen Kane, we see the death of the world's richest man, and his death launches an investigation based upon his final words. We see him from many different perspectives of those that knew him, but we alone learn that as he died, his memories were about his childhood. We know more about him than anyone else in his life, but what do we actually know about Kane? In Vagabond, a death also launches an investigation. This is a young, homeless girl who we have no record of her last words, only stories from those that met her in the last few weeks of her life. At the end of this cinematic investigation, we also know more about her life than any one character does, but we still ask ourselves, what do we really know about Mona? Kane died surrounded by people who could tell us about his final moments. Mona lived alone and she could only ever die alone. And this is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on a venture to watch a century, cinema decade by decade, year by year. And I am one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney, and with me is
1: Hello, I'm Oliver Jones. <laughs> Was, that
2: Was, that awesome. Was that your awesome Wells impression? <laughs> what whatever, could it be?
1: I thought you said awesome Wells. Awesome,
2: awesome, awesome Wells. The, the awesome one. <laughs>
1: I kind of picture him now with sunglasses and some sort of flash suit and like, but with his, I don't know, with a cloak. With oh, cloak definitely obviously. a cloak. He has to wear a cloak. He has to wear a cloak. Speaking of cloaks and capes, how good was Loki the other day? Oh
2: my God, that is a good transition. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll get to the, we'll go to it later <laughs> on. We'll, we'll get to that later on. How are you doing, first of all? I'm
2: fine. I I'm. Uh... Um. Blah, blah 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 I I am um, I'm doing okay. I found out today that I I I don't know. I, there's a big celebration on the kind of I, this thing I study off as Dyke in my PhD. The charity it looks after it is celebrating their fiftieth anniversary. And last night, my supervisor started messaging me like I was invited to this thing. Like he started going right. We, we got the walk at 9 o'clock, so if we meet at 9.30 or whatever, back, back to front, and we can talk about this, is there anything else you want me to bring, or do you want to ch- ch- like lead this section? And I, I'd i have to him and stop him and be like, I haven't been invited to this exclusive event. <laughs> like, and he was really apologetic and really like sorry. And I was just I was kind of like, in my back of my head, I was like, I'm a bit annoyed I wasn't invited to this because I kind of do a lot of work for them. Yeah, but surely also, they know who you are. Like- oh, they definitely know who yeah, I They pay me. To do stuff for them. So like, um,
1: why weren't you invited? Were you just left off the list by accident? You reckon, or like it's yeah, like
2: forgotten about? I don't know. I
1: don't it's like know, being with know. a group of friends, and then they're talking about the house party they're going to that evening. Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll all meet up, and we'll you know get drinks and stuff. And then yeah. one of them's like, oh, I've not been invited.
2: The only thing I can think of is they're really restricted on space, and they've probably got a lot of trustees and
1: something. Were they like, come um, along, just come along anyway, we'll get you in, and be you're like, mm. yeah, we'll get you in, and you'll be like, was- mm, no, no. <laughs> Oh, uh, it feels weird now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You made
2: it awkward. <laughs> you made it awkward. <laughs> Especially as part of it was like a walk. So that's all outside. So, um, I don't know. I thought it was a bit odd. But I'm not sad that I didn't have to get up at like 7 o'clock in the morning and drive over to Mid Wales. That's well, I not kind of know thing.
1: I know what the feeling's like. Like, um, so... The way I get a lot of my work is there's a website called Creative Commissions and basically like bands and artists and managers or whatever post like, you know, X band wants music video in this style, kind of like, and then you pitch on it and kind of you either get it or you don't. And uh, that's how I got the psychedelic porn crumpets, like six, six, seven music videos ago. And, uh, you know, they, (laughs) they keep coming back to me every time. And then I was on Creative Commissions the other day and it's like psychedelic porn crumpets need... Uh, animator to do three music videos for me. and I was like oh I mean oh, yeah. on the one hand I, I didn't particularly want to do them anyway but you know yeah you're kind of you done st- with it but still but y- you still want to at least you know you mm. still want to be offered <laughs> or us
2: I get that at work even at work a lot there's a lot of work that I can do that we commission for but I could technically do it in-house because of my skills but They they know most of the time I'll turn most of it down. I don't really need to income generate um, my role. So so if if, if I'm too busy, most of the time I can just turn stuff down. But those times they don't ask me, I'm always like, "Mm, what do they think? Like, do they not trust me now or they think I can't do it? (laughs) Or like, it's so easy how like imposter syndrome or whatever that is sinks in.
1: Oh, I've been feeling that a lot recently. Definitely. Like, because I've been like. The one thing I think we should probably mention is that we're probably going to go to, like, every two weeks, I think, for a podcast, just because yeah. we've co- we've both got, have got a lot on at the moment. And uh, I might be moving to Leeds for a couple of months to do some work.
2: Yeah, um, so we might just go fortnightly release for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and we, we want to shout out to our Norway fans. Apparently, we're... um,
2: Yep. Hi, Norway. <laughs> we're in the top
1: 25 Tag. film and TV podcasts. <laughs> yep, and Switzerland.
2: And Switzerland, sorry. I like Switzerland as well, Switzerland's definitely. a beautiful place, so yep. hi to all the Swiss fans out there, I love <laughs> Bern, that's where I've been, <laughs> I like mountains, that goes to Norway as well, I guess they've got mountains.
1: That's true, yeah.
2: We should do some Norwegian films. So have some you been,
1: <laughs> we should actually, we should definitely do some Norwegian films. Have you been up to anything other than work or has it just been all work, work, work?
2: Honestly, just writing and work, It's I've been so boring. And walking, I've been trying to do a lot of walking. That's what I've been doing in between. <laughs> That's really,
1: well, I, it's very boring. I, I did a lot of running last year and uh, I was probably for six months every day I went for a run. I went yeah. for a run last week and I just did something to my foot and I don't know what I've done and maybe it's just age, but I just can't run on it anymore. <laughs> so the moment I decide to get healthy again. My body was just like nah,
2: it's not happening. Yeah, that, that was like my knee. Like that was the start of this podcast when I was doing. I was doing loads of yoga that my knee just oh, blew yeah. up. <laughs> like, it's like great. This is why I don't put effort into stuff. Yeah,
1: your body just I, punishes you.
2: I've mainly been watching things. I've been I've been watching a lot because I've been stuck writing so been trying to relax watching movies and things so
1: go on what you watch so,
2: and the good thing is there's been loads of new releases so let's do some new releases. I
1: know it's, it's like summer's kicked in it feels like mm. proper movie season like you know you've got Black Widow coming out yeah which I haven't seen
2: have you seen Black Widow yet no not yet are you going to go to the cinema you think <laughs> <laughs>
1: nah I don't think so I don't know <laughs> I don't know no no, not yet. I think i uh, probably my first cinema will probably be Ghostbusters probably later in the year. I feel. And oh, that's like
2: November, isn't it?
1: I know, yeah.
2: I might go see Black Widow tomorrow at the cinema. Ooh. Kind of considering that, I think.
1: You're a very brave person.
2: I am. Well, honestly, the Hereford Odeon, I've never been in there with more than four people. <laughs> so like, even it like yeah. even when I went to Got to like, Spider Man, like it was no one's in there, so I don't particularly feel it'd be fun kind of full.
1: Well I, I know, know the Coronavirus cases are rising, but I'm hoping that with vaccinations yeah, sure. and that it's going to be, it it won't be like as you know, it's not all hospitalizations and death. It's probably, hopefully, it'll be a bit more.
2: Hopefully, I have no faith in our government <laughs> to do anything right, so I don't know. I'm just trying to keep myself healthy. So, anyway, what um, you watched? Yeah, so let's go through them because I I watched um, the Tomorrow War. Did you watch the Tomorrow War? That's a new. Release. I
1: saw one train and I was like, nah. It's not for me.
2: <laughs> I know, like, a lot of people have been quite kind to it, actually, and the big part of it is, you know, these are the type of films that people actually kind of want. You know, it's not linked to a fucking franchise. It's not... It's original. It's, you know, it's just a blockbuster action movie and all that. But, honestly, it's a mess. <laughs> it's such a mess. I can't believe it cost 200 million for them to come out with that and just release and drop it on streaming. It's.
1: You know how it got 200 million? And- Pratt. Chris Pratt's in it and he's yeah. the producer, so, you yeah. know, apparently, he, because he did one. So want... But the thing is, he's only done, in my opinion, one big thing, and that's Guardians.
2: I think he's done two good things. What was the other one? Lego Movie.
1: Oh, yeah, I suppose that was a big But can you say that he's the selling factor of that? I mean, um,
2: But he's... I think they use him well. And yeah. I, I think it's the only other property they are using well in. They don't even use him well in Inf- Infinity War. It's literally James Gunn and Lego Movie. I think right. are the only two people that use him well. He's fucking awful in Jurassic World. I give it, I'll give you a I million dollars if you can those... tell me what his character's name is in Jurassic Oh, World, hang like. on, hang on.
1: Oh, <laughs> do you know what? don't even... Uh, I know he wears a jacket with lots of pockets. <laughs> 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 um... Do you that's know what? It, like, that's his
2: That's his character name, I Man just, With Jacket.
1: I, I legitimately hate those lost, uh, those Jurassic World films. Like, they're bad. Just, they're just they're like, bad, yeah. Just boring. Like, yeah. Like, dinosaurs are cool, but like, like... Do you remember, what was that show, Walking With Dinosaurs, or something like that? Once like, <laughs> yeah, you've seen yeah. one of those episodes, you're like, oh, I don't really need to see another one. Like it's, just, <laughs> like, it's like Jurassic Park, it's great, but I don't need to see another one.
2: I think they had such a good setup for Jurassic World. I don't particularly think they used it, but the idea that this is twenty-five years eight or whatever the fuck it was, and they actually made a park is a really good setup. It was successful or something.
1: That's a good yeah. setup.
2: Go go from it, like, and they can't believe they messed up as bad as they did, really, and I just think, made it as boring as they did.
1: I think what they one of the problems as well with these like legacy sequels. I think they go too big straight away. Yeah, I right. think you kind yeah. of start a bit smaller, I don't know, and then kind of well, get in that, as it what, goes
2: along. In the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I preferred the kind of haunted house stuff at the end of that film compared to the stuff on the island at the beginning of that film. Right. It, it wasn't, I don't think it was good, but I, I was definitely watching going, oh, I could watch a haunted house with a raptor. You know, like that type of film. I could watch that. I could enjoy that as a film rather than it have to constantly be like this overarching picture and as you say the biggest story
1: they can tell it's it's boring so so going back to Tomorrow World or whatever it's called what's the plot Mm -hmm. of that then well that's a question
2: (laughs) Uh, they um Basically there's a war 30 years in the future which let me point out is not far enough for the technology okay <laughs> but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there's a war 30 years in the future where humanity is getting extinct and they invent time time travel and they come back to the past to recruit troops because humanity's almost wiped out in the future and they basically and they're explicitly recruiting people who this is kind of a spoiler oh, hang on hang on if but- you're
1: going back to recruit people and they're dying anyway doesn't that like
2: well, that's that mi- what I was about to say. Okay, okay. They're, they're explicitly recruiting people who are dead in the future, who are dying like of like diseases.
1: Oh, something. okay.
2: So they're explicitly like, kind of actually recruiting people who are not going to have a future, which I think is actually a really good idea. I think Yeah, that, for like that, a sci-fi premise, that's quite... Yeah, that yeah, premise yeah. is there, but the absolute packaging of this fucking film is atrocious. The the packaging of the family, the packaging of Chris Pratt, the packaging of like his dad stuff. His dad stuff drives me mad. His packaging of like the third act of this film is insane. Like the third act of the film is from another film. They basically like it's like every character in this film looked at each other halfway through this film and go, We need a third act. (laughs) Like what should we do? (laughs) Like it's it's so bad. And the best thing about it is Sam Richardson, who I love from Veep. I really want to see Werewolves Within as well. I haven't watched it yet. Um I think Sam Richardson is fucking brilliant. Um, and he is in a different movie than everyone else then <laughs> like, it's like you're almost like can either give me more Sam Richardson or not like it's the best part of the movie is when Sam Richardson says shit about 50 times in
1: two minutes like <laughs> is it does it I'm, rival Hugh Grant in four weddings and a funeral it definitely just, does everything. yeah
2: it's and it's funny and it's like oh this was what this film could have been and some of the set pieces in this as well are like oh this is what this film could have been you know it's just there but I feel like it just got. Produced or something out of out of like Chris McKay's hands or something. It felt like it had left his control or something.
1: Didn't he direct like one of the Lego movies? Like Lego he did Batman the Batman Lego movie, yeah. Lego, yeah. yeah. Thought so.
2: And he's meant to be doing Nightwing, I think.
1: I don't. That's not going to happen, surely. Yeah,
2: I don't, I don't think it's going to happen either. But he's been linked for it for years.
1: I think it was you. I said that if I'm going to watch a religious zealot time travel fighting aliens, it's going to be Tom Cruise in The Edge of Tomorrow, or whatever it's called. Live. This live. would
2: have been a. Tom Cruise would have brought something to it. Chris Pratt is... Um, he just thing doesn't is, have
1: it. Like, Chris Pratt is funny. Like, he was good in Parks and Rec and stuff. But, like, yeah. the one thing you can say about Tom Cruise, he's just a perfect Hollywood a star. Movie star. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's just... He's good at what he does. He's good at yeah. doing that. Do you know what I mean? And kind of... I mean, maybe not so much in War of the Worlds where you have to take him as, like, the average working class man, which <laughs> is not that... The, I love the
2: Star Wars of the world when he's pretending he's a mechanic and he has friends, and I'm like, no, you don't, Tom. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: It's the way he's <laughs> throwing the baseballs stuff like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, Chris yeah. I oh, he's just and even and like even some of this isn't his fault. His characterization of this is really boring. Um, well, surely if he's the producer, and,
1: yeah, it is his fault. He could have well, demanded yeah, better. right? Sure. You know, so,
2: but yeah, Tomorrow War is stinker. <laughs> uh, fair Street Have you watched fair Street?
1: I did watch Fair Street Part 1 What do you think of it? Part 1 I actually nine,
2: Part 2 yet Because that came out yesterday
1: actually. It did No we're going to watch it tonight I think it's Yeah I was planning to as well Watch it um, I, Do you know what I actually really enjoyed it I think I found the needle drops in the first act a bit much. It was like... (laughs) They are
2: obscene. They are absolutely obscene. I was like, chill out, calm down. (laughs) uh, There are needle drops that interrupt other needle drops that interrupt other needle drops within, like, a minute. I've never, ever experienced that
1: before. Don't get me wrong, they're songs I like. Yeah, I love the sound. But it does one thing that really bugs me. Okay. I know what it's, I know what you're gonna say. It <laughs> specifically yeah. says it's nineteen ninety four. The one kid is singing along to a um a white zombie song, which didn't yeah, come out yeah, yeah, yeah. until a year later. And I'm yeah. pretty sure there's the Prodigy song in it, which didn't come out for another like two or three years after that. And I was like, yep. come on. I had a
2: friend, uh, well, someone I know on the um, Blankies Discord, actually shout out to the Blankies Discord, uh, who um, basically decided that the film should be set in 98. If they just called it 1998, then it would yeah. all make sense. There's no reason it's called 94 apart from, I don't know, somewhere in like a studio doing some test screenings have decided 94 sells better than 98 or something, you know. Yeah, because there's no,
1: I don't, there's, no there's not that much difference in terms of, I don't know. Fashion, fashion It's stuff, literally yeah. the
2: music drops. They are All the music drops are like from periods after 94. There's only like a few songs that actually were kind of on the money. It's
1: like Stranger Things did that. They specifically said that one series was set in like 1983 or something like that. And they were playing Oingo Boingo songs for like a couple of years <laughs> after that. I was like, no. It definitely it's had a Stranger just... Things vibe to it. I mean, I think a lot of the pe- yeah, some so. of the people were... Like you got Uma Thurman's daughter, who is kind of like the Drew Barrymore in Scream, like where she's kind of like. Is that Uma Thurman's daughter? I didn't know. Yeah, that. Yeah, she looks and sounds exactly like Uma Thurman. Yeah, she does. Yeah, <laughs> she really does. I- but she's kind of the Drew Barrymore kind of character, isn't she, at the beginning of Scream, where you know you think, oh, this is the lead character, and it's like the fake out, because I think she was, uh, I think she's like the head of the cast list and stuff like that, and I think uh, Maya, is it Maya? Th- Maya Hawk or something like that, I think her name is... Maya Hawke, yeah, Maya Hawke, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was actually really enjoyable, you know, and I think what I thought was was pretty great, you know, it's kind of, you've got a queer lead in the film as well, which I thought was, yeah. was quite welcoming and... Um,
2: it wasn't overplayed. Yeah. Either.
1: Like, I didn't know, though, if it was meant to be a bit of a fake out because you see, you know, because obviously you find out spoilers... She, the main character is a lesbian, and she's got you know uh, her ex uh, is a character called Sam, and I don't know if they're trying to play it as like a fake out that you don't know if it's the boy or the girl, but that could be my me projecting that onto the film, and then I'm the one who's kind of, do, do you know what I mean? Guess so
2: yeah, I didn't even really think about it
1: at the time. But like, well so. that that shows my prejudices. I guess <laughs> or but like, but I thought it was it was handled really well, and you know it didn't it didn't feel like it was forced on the film or it just felt very no. natural and so it I think it's yeah. to be commended to, for doing that I think
2: I think so too and it's the same way I think I said the same thing about New Mutants which I was like I know no one talks about New Mutants but the queer leads in that is really good it's one it's one of the strongest things about it and like it should be commended for that because it's done in a really kind of good way it's not done in a, in a way that other you know other decades would have done it mm, definitely, basically though. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really cool, and uh, there's definitely some. This I won't say them, but there's some kills in Fear Street that I thought, God, I would have liked to seen that in a cinema, you know, like and just had like all the people's reactions. Oh yeah, there's um, definitely one at the end like that. that I thought was pretty. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's kind of like once the needle stop needle drop stopped, I felt like the film really picked up. Like yeah, it when it
1: started of, to become like a score, like you know, like actual yeah. music and stuff. It definitely kind of felt more like a. A film than just trying to be like, "Hey, we're set in the '90s." Did you interesting. ever interesting.
2: The Fair Streets at school. Did you ever read any of those?
1: I mean, to be honest, this was the first time I'd ever heard of them. Like they're by the guy who did Goosebumps. Was it? Goosebumps, but they're pre- they yeah. they they predate Goosebumps, don't they?
2: Yeah, I think it was his his. He was trying to do more adult kind of, well, young adult kind of horror stories, and then he then he went to kind of Goosebumps afterwards. So his Goosebumps like, a bit, a bit like even younger. more kiddie, yeah. I loved Goose. That Goosebumps TV show. I l- used to watch that all the time. <laughs> like I li- I've seen so many episodes of that Goosebumps TV show. And like this felt like a kind of grown-up Goosebumps television show. And that was kind of my favorite thing about yeah, yeah. it actually. It just well, felt the- like a kind of adult version of that.
1: There was two shows I preferred to Goosebumps when I was a kid. I used to love uh, Round the Twist, the Australian show.
2: <laughs> I liked Round the Twist but I do not think it was good.
1: <laughs> I loved it and then Eerie Indiana I thought was amazing. Yeah, I, I
2: like Erie Indiana. I always liked that show. I think it's really good. But, um, but I'm looking forward to part two, yeah, and apparently it all starts weaving in more, so. Yeah, I'm so this one's
1: like a 70s slasher, isn't it, or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Like you know, like a Jason kind of thing.
2: This isn't one it, was kind of like you know, have you seen Dream Warriors? Yeah, the the best one. I think it was kind of like Dream Warriors actually. I liked it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah, definitely a little bit of a vibe of Cabin in the Woods, but I think it's better than that to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But um, New releases. Enjoy talking about new releases. Um,
2: have you seen the new Sodenberg No sudden move.
1: No, but but I definitely want to watch it. I think. I read about this film. Apparently it was meant to have like George Clooney and like a whole different cast. And it got... Oh, really? Like, yeah. And then I think COVID hit and it kind of like f- messed it all up. So that's a completely recasting and stuff. So oh, right. I'm interested to check it out though. I loved
2: it. I loved Soderbergh. I really do. Um, I, I've only really recently started properly getting into him. You know, actually properly watching films that he's made. And especially after he kind of did a soft retirement and just started doing more indie films. Yeah. For years, those indie films rule. Like, um, like I watched Bubble recently, it's brilliant. Um, Unsane is, is fantastic. Uh, these really great, great things. Fucking The Laundromat is awful, though. Don't watch The Laundromat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the but, film um, he did with the porn star? And I think it's been spun off as a TV show
2: uh, The Girlfriend Experience. Girlfriend Experience, that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a good. Film.
1: I like him just because he's kind of like pretty unpredictable like what he does yeah he just time. likes to
2: make films yeah it's like that's the only thing and like let them all talk was one of my favorite films from last year it's one of the only I don't re-watch a lot of films but I re that like um so yeah I'm re- I just was really up for this and it's just great cast there's a cameo performance in it that I won't say who it, who it is or anything but it's brilliant like it's it really not fun not- of
1: it's not Julie Roberts, is it? No, Bruce Willis, wasn't it, in uh, Oceans? <laughs> it was
2: Bruce Willis in Oceans. But really good tone. One of the best performances I've given, I've seen them do. Um, and, I mean, for me, Brendan Fasier just being back in films has uh, made me really happy.
1: Like, he's, he's been cast in the new uh, Darren, Aronof- Darren Aronofsky film, really? hasn't he? So he's definitely, like, on a comeback trail. I think he's going to be... I have a feeling, because, you know, before he was kind of, like, a bit of a a macho kind of he was almost yeah. like a bit of a Chris Pratt almost maybe yeah
2: yeah yeah same energy yeah yeah
1: but I think he's coming back like going oh I'm an actor now like this is you know yeah. I know he did like Gods and Monsters and stuff like that and Which he George of the Jungle that film's so good yeah is he, who directed that was it Bill Condon
2: yeah it's Condon wasn't
1: it guy who did yeah. the
2: last uh, the last there um, eh, Twilights yeah 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 but yeah um He's, like, I think I said it to you before, but he gives a Stephen Root performance in this. Like, he's playing oh, okay. Stephen Root. Like, um, like Stephen Root easily could have taken that role, and it would have been the same. And he does it really well. Like, it really works for him and everything. And I know, like, I read, like, the big story he did. Was it Variety or Rolling Stones about the, like, you know, the abuse and stuff like that he suffered in, like, Hollywood and things? So, yeah. I just want to see him come back. Like, I just yeah, love totally. him. Yeah, such a big part of movies when we were growing up, so...
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think even The Mummy, he's so enjoyable in that film. He's so good in The Mummy. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, he just got the tone perfectly. Like, you know, the, the yeah. effects and that have really dated in that film. But he kind of... He nails it. He nails it, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like, I heard the way they shot this film is quite interesting. Because I think it's all on anamorphic lenses. So, like, it's kind of got, like, that... Distort distortion around like the edges and stuff. So I didn't know. If, uh,
2: okay, yeah, that makes sense. If you noticed anything about that, or and on retrospect, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's it's it is a film you'd have to watch twice. I think. Like I will warn that you will watch this film and not know what's going on until the end. Like it's yeah. it's purposefully confusing, and then and and then once it reveals itself, it reveals itself, and I think it's more rewarding if you watch it again. I will say that about it. It's going to be one of those, but um. Love Don Cheadle, love seeing Don Cheadle do anything. Like he should be leading more films. Yeah, instead of he... just being like a two second character cameo actor thing, like
1: Yeah, totally. Like he and... I think he's so wasted in the Marvel films, like walking around yeah. with these little power legs <laughs> and stuff yeah. like, This Don Cheadle, he's he deserves I think
2: Don Cheadle is so good. And uh Benicia del Toro who um I there was a tweet recently that hasn't left my brain, like and it's um Benicio del Toro's entire vibe has always been the weirdest guy you know gets a terrible night's sleep. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> think of that constant. <laughs> like and like his performance in this is—he's always good. When is he bad? That's what I think. Benicio del Toro is just one of those. It's like when is he bad? But actually, most of the time, he brings something to a film. Like like Star Wars, st- that fucking performance in Star Wars is the best thing that's ever happened.
1: So many people like he's like if you ever go to a toy shop. And you want to look for Star Wars figures, you'll always find a DJ toy because no one wants that toy. <laughs> but I liked him in that film, like a lot of Star I Wars fans are, like shit on him, but like he does, he's, like he he does choices. I'm gonna stutter in this film. I'm like, that's my that's my yeah little character thing. But it like, it he works d- for it. And, you know, he I doesn't
2: like- just do choices; he makes every choice. I think yeah. that's <laughs> why. <think> <laughs> but I love I just love watching him do for, just act. He's just one of those guys. Yeah, and like so. the rest of it's just stacked. It's an absolute stacked cast. You know, John Ham. Kieran Corkin, like Ray Liotta, like uh, David Harbour. It's just absolutely stacked. Like, it's it's really good. Really recommend it. It's my nice. favourite film of the year so far, anyway.
1: Oh, like, wow. I'm going to have to check this out then.
2: Um, which I know that's maybe I haven't seen too much this year, but it's definitely my favourite of the year so far. And the other new one uh, that I've watched is In the
1: Heights. So hey, I was waiting for you to watch this.
2: <laughs> so you've seen it, yeah?
1: Yeah, I thought it was delightful. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah,
2: me too. I Like, um, it's it's really surprising to me how it's come and died a death. Like, I thought it was going to do something, but it's an out-and-out bomb. Like, it's made, like, so little money, uh, which is a shame, really. But um, I really liked it. I don't, I don't know. I like,
1: like, it definitely didn't deserve to bomb. Like, I don't know if it was just through, like, lack of promotion or just the timing of when it came out. Like, it was, maybe it was just a mm. little bit too soon. Maybe, I don't know, but...
2: There's definitely a lot of Lin Manuel kind of um what's the term backlash like, backlash would do yeah i think people are just tired of him he's just been overexposed for Both. years like and he's very hes a very corny guy you know like he so you get but a bit like, tiring
1: but like i mean like i'm going to say like i'm not a big fan of like La- well i'm going to say i'm not a big fan i don't really know much latino kind of cuban music it's not really what I listen to what you listen to sure but there's definitely some jams in that film like the opening track in The Heights you know which is about mm. 20 minutes long where you literally learn about every character <laughs> and then Blackout is amazing like Blackout is amazing it's, yeah. I was like that's like a hair ra- raising song that, that song feels like the song written by the guy who did Hamilton
2: Yeah, there's so many proto-Hamilton songs Yeah, totally, yeah yeah. that's really funny, actually, to watch it and know Hamilton to see so many musical choices and little notes and little bits in the music it just get reused in Hamilton Because this wasn't a Broadway hit, it was off-Broadway, wasn't it? So it only ever played in, like, small theatres Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly Because I I think the guy who played the lead he played the the, the cousin, I think
2: Right, right, yeah yeah, Because it was Lynn playing the original
1: yeah, yeah. oh, I heard a bit of the original like cast recording and like, like, no offense to Lin, he's, <laughs> he's, he's not the best singer. He's not. He's not singer But the no, guy who's know. the guy who plays the lead in this, he's. I think he Anthony Ramos. Yeah, he's, he's got really star good. written all over him, and I hope he gets like, you know, more chances because.
2: Yeah. Same. I watched I like, like. I I loved the performance of Champagne in this. I thought yeah. that I thought it was brilliant. I thought like the. The blocking of it as well. So, shout out to John Chu. Um, like, I think he really brought a stage thing into a 3D world as well, in a way that I think sometimes stage shows suffer when they're made into Hollywood musicals. But then mm-hmm. I watched like the original. I watched like an original performance of Champagne on stage. It's so much worse than the one in the film. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it not, it's good. But I understand why the it didn't go anywhere on set. I understand that, like, why it was just like a lot of kind of like it was an underground hit. You know, it was. It's a much quieter thing. It's much smaller, and they managed to really just pump it up for the film. And I, I don't know, I liked it. I can't say much bad about it. It's a little know, long. Yeah. It's a little, little too long, maybe.
1: Yeah, um, I'd say it's probably about 20 minutes too long, but, you know, yeah. you, you've got to get all those songs in. I think some of it felt a little bit CGI at times. like Sure. Like, you know, there's the whole, like... But, you know, you kind of... It like musicals are almost like a set in an alternative world anyway, so people, yeah, they can walk at walls and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and, I don't mind that, yeah.
1: But i tell you what I found a bit egregious. Like, there's the whole bit... They're, like, at the pool, aren't they? And there's... this a lot of that oh, yeah. seems to feel like it was done like with green screens and stuff and I was kind of questioning right. why that okay. needed I don't know, that maybe that was just me watching it and seeing it But um, what was I, I say? loved uh, like,
2: there was a lot of stuff I loved the setting in the um, hair salon nail bar place, I loved yeah, yeah, that yeah. song I loved the the um, choreography I loved the girls playing the percussion with their nails on yeah. the bench <laughs> and stuff like, I just, I, all that and like them just crowding around her chair and stuff I just thought all that blocking was classic good musical stuff that mm. I loved, you know um, I loved Abula uh, uh, And her song and stuff like that Her last her, her last song Shouldn't say that, might cut
1: that out <laughs>
2: But um, <laughs> her song in it as well um,
1: Yeah, I don't know i, I also got my, Jimmy Schmitz's in it as well Oh, of course, yes
2: Jimmy Schmitz Baylor Garner
1: himself <laughs> He did, and we are a pro-Jimmy Schmitz
2: podcast <laughs> We're definitely <laughs> a pro-Jimmy Schmitz
1: podcast <laughs>
2: He wasn't in it enough actually for me, and he kind of disappears towards towards the end. I think that he's, was got, he's got he's
1: got such a stature; he's quite an imposing guy. I is huge, he, like, isn't quite, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I, I was going to say like the only thing about it, and I think this is this is a general criticism of of adaptation of Broadway or just adaption of stage theater. And I, I can't remember who originally made. Uh, I have read this. This is attributed to someone like Mel Brooks. I think it's someone smart. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> But they, they were saying that the problem with, like, s- cinematic musicals is they take something that's all, that was of its time on theatre and has already lost its time, and then they decide to make a film about it. Right. So, like, this, was cl- this, is, a, this is a musical that is very much 15 years ago. And well, I mean, I it's set during, in, in like, it.
1: the 2003 blackout, isn't it, I think? Is it
2: a... <laughs> it originally is. This isn't. This is pretending it's set now, which really annoyed me. Right. Because okay. they, they change a lot of the wording to make it set now. I can't remember. There was one that was really egregious, and I can't remember what it was. I literally can't remember. They literally changed, like, a reference to something now. Oh, okay. Um, and, I was, and it's like, well, it's... It, but it's not. It's set during the 2003 blackout. It's meant to be. And, like, this... Watching this during, like, kind of, you know the bush era or watching it during the early parts of the obama era i think makes more sense than watching it post trump yeah, yeah totally, i think like yeah. and i just think it does lack that kind of like moment that kind of cultural moment i think it has missed the mark and maybe that's why it's not particularly working for people That's right. the only thing i can really think but um yeah I, I enjoyed it and i would recommend it to people i would people you think people watch it.
1: do you think this would ever hamper like Hamilton ever being made, or do you think they'd never do Hamilton yeah. anyway? Do you think so? I think
2: Hamilton would be dreadful if they made it, honestly. I think it wouldn't work. Um,
1: it? Well, because this is more of a musical where it's kind of got like dialogue in between. It's kind of got, yeah. I don't know, quote-unquote acting parts in between, do you know what I mean? Whereas Hamilton but, is just wall-to-wall.
2: And both this and Hamilton, explicit kind of comments on that kind of Bush, no, sorry, Obama-era kind of politics, it is about that. Mm. And like Hamilton managed to become a bit of like a kind of like resistance kind of play during the Trump era as well, because it yeah. talked about the founding fathers, it talked about immigration stuff like that. But I think outside of that period, it suffers to be made. I think it does fall out of its area. And it's not so... I love Hamilton. I think it's fantastic. But I think if you put it to, to screen in, I don't know, five years' time, it won't have any anywhere near the same effect at all. It would just feel like a bit of a relic. And right. I think that's generally the problem with musicals. I think, I mean, we you said it before about like Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon works when it came out. Now it's like twenty years later. You are kind of like are you going to rewrite this, guys.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's the, that's what I was saying to James. Like, I think it's okay yeah. to kind of update them a bit. You know, it again, is. Yeah, like, you know, because because it's almost it's not like a film that's kind of set in stone. It's it's because yeah, you're it's watching as a live performance. You yeah, can you yeah. can adapt it and kind of embellish or change it as it goes on and like you know that's what happens before like do you remember they did that spider-man thing years ago like turn off the dark or something (laughs) turn off the dark it's got the spider who kind of sings about shoes and stuff like that like like anybody who listens to this please go on youtube because the whole thing's on youtube and it's insane just like,
2: even watch the performance. I think it's on this night show. It's the, the best fucking thing in the world. The lately. production.
1: I'd love to have seen it. Looked in, it looked him. Yeah, it looks looked insane. Bananas. But like, there's so many versions of that before they, you know, never even got to you know, a proper paying. Po- I mean, I think people paid no, to did. go and watch it. It did open, but it didn't get a proper proper open, did it? It was always. I think it, wo- I think it hit did. I think it it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it got a proper open. Oh well, it okay. just didn't. It couldn't maintain its costs, and people kept on getting injured. (laughs) Fair enough. But it closed very quickly. I'm sure it opened, but closed very quickly, or got put on hiatus or something for some reasons. I think that's what happened.
1: They picked weird villains. I think Carnage was in it as well, I think. Yeah. I have a feeling.
2: They invented a villain as well, which was amazing. Yeah, it's like this lady covered in knives. I can't remember her name. And I think Swarm was one of the villains as well. You know, the man made of bees. Oh,
1: okay. Okay.
2: (laughs) And, yeah, it's the Green Goblins, the major one. I can't... What is the lady that's made a noise called? I'm going to have to look that up.
1: So is that all you've watched then?
2: Yeah, other new releases. Let's just... I'll stick to new releases. So, So,
1: yeah, I, 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 I watched The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. Oh, Okay. And I, <laughs> this might be one of the worst films I've seen in the last five, ten years. Like I thought it was. Okay, I didn't a, hate it as much as you. I thought it was abysmal. I've never been so <laughs> bored watching a film. Like it just felt so lazy and generic. Like, you know, what's the who's the main guy in it? What's his name? Uh, Patrick. The Owlman. Yeah. <laughs> Night Owl. Patrick um, Patrick Wilson, he just... Like, I don't hate him, but he he always comes across as a guy that... I know he's acting, do you know what I mean? Like, Right, okay. Like, I can just sense him acting. Like, he's not bad, but he's not particularly that great. And, like, um, uh, Vera... I can't pronounce her name. Vera Faminga. Faminga? Faminga? Anyway... (laughs) I thought she was pretty brutal in this. Like, I just found her really like. I normally like her in films, but I found her like excruciating in this. And the plot just—I was like, what? Like,
2: the plot like, is wildly out. Yeah.
1: Like, I like. I, I kind of enjoy the first two to a certain extent. Like, they're kind of popcorn horror films. They're fine. Yeah. yeah. But this, I just found just like it. Just felt so lazy. My review on Letterbox was "lol, what a piece of shit." That, was, <laughs> that sums it up. Um, I was going.
2: I was wondering if you'd watched Quiet Place Two yet.
1: Yeah. No, I haven't yet. I'm okay. I don't know. I'm hesitant to watch that because I quite like the first one, but I've heard. I think it's a pile of shit. Is it? Oh, I've heard some. <laughs> I've heard some bad things about it. I think about. I
2: prefer Conjuring to it. Is what? Really? Oh dear. Yeah. That
1: doesn't bode well.
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't.
1: He's another guy that's starting to annoy me. Uh John Kay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel that too. And I don't like know he's why. no he hasn't done anything. But no me real personally. reasons. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> but it's like you were saying, like Lin Mem with Randall probably just overexposing themselves in like the media and stuff, and it's just to a point where you're like Alright, it's the
2: come. It's the brutal earnestness of some of these people. I think it's the same thing with John Kay. Like he's kind of that show he did over pandemic. It was meant to be, like, happy news or something.
1: Oh, yeah, and he and sold it straight away.
2: He sold it and never did anything else. Like, just I, just, I don't know. I just get, I don't know why I don't like him, but I don't.
1: Right. Um, I watched a documentary uh, about flat earthers called Behind the Curve.
2: <laughs> oh, I've seen that on Netflix.
1: Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Honestly, I didn't realise how fucking batshit, crazy these people <laughs> <laughs> and it makes me really really sad that the guitarist from my all time favourite band is a flat earther oh like,
2: Deftones yeah and I was just yeah me really sad. like
1: hopefully hopefully Chino Abe and the rest of the guys are a normal I'm hoping <laughs> hoping <laughs> but like but of course they're the people who believe nine eleven is an inside job. Of course they're the people who believe there's a trans oh, yeah, agenda going on and all this crazy horrible stuff that they believe in. It's like Like the thing I, I like did,
2: how you just I like how you merged transgender and trans agenda to one thing, then that was really good.
1: Did I do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what they this one guy he literally says that. Transgender he goes, agenda. He said there's a trans agenda oh, in I America know. and I was like Shut up, go away. And like Fuck off. Like I I just every time like I was watching with Carol I was like going, well okay the, the if you say the earth's flat how does a person from America get to Australia? Surely they're going to go yeah, from yeah, the yeah. west coast side and that way. But no, they think they're going to go for, I don't know any this all bon- bonkers. It's, and then this It's there's, not there's, worth arguing with that
2: logic <laughs> oh, no?
1: And then like there's some that believe that outside the Antarctic wall there's yeah. other Continents around the other side, and then there's yeah. another wall of ice, and then there's a war continent. and I'm like thinking, what? <laughs> what? <laughs>
2: like it's the just we, the weird. The weird thing is like that they can't grasp is why. Like why is the lie important? Like why does the conspiracy exist? Yeah. If you what... say like nine eleven was an inside job, you can say why they. You know they yeah, would yeah. do it because they wanted to start the eternal war. You know, like why. The Earth being flat is why is that the agenda? And it would be such a big agenda. Everyone in the world, including myself, because the work I do, <laughs> like, would have to be in on it. <laughs> yeah. So it's... why? <laughs> like,
1: it's it's insane. But these are the these these are the people who I think in a few years' time the next conspiracy thing will be. The oh yeah, they will.
2: They're all QAnon people now. well yeah. I know QAnon's shifting as well, anyway. But yeah. But, but is thinking, the, that's the documentary. They prove themselves wrong, in, isn't it? Oh, it's but so
1: funny. That, but the thing is, like with science, like you know, you kind of you'd go through a series of tests to get to your conclusion. These are people who've got in their mind what their conclusion is already, and they're just trying to prove it. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Every experiment yeah, yeah. they did to prove. They prove them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> prove them wrong? <laughs> like the one guy was like, "I'm. I can see Seattle over there. Like, you know, if the Earth's curved." You know, I shouldn't be able to see Seattle for a moment. I'm like, do you realize how fucking big the Earth is? Like, <laughs> of course, from some places, you're going to see things in the distance. Like, Also, how tall it is. Exactly. Seattle, you me. know,
2: <laughs> I am. Um, shout out. I think you should watch this. You would like it, but anyone else listening as well. There's a YouTuber called Folding Ideas um, right. who I love. And he did a documentary that came out um, last year, the end of 2020. And it's called In Search of Flat Earth. Right. It's like an hour 15 or something. Um, I think it's wonderful I think it's absolutely wonderful I think it's one of the best documentaries i watched last year like i just like and it's about it's about Flat Earth and he in, does his own investigations but he does it in this really like honestly like almost like in the way he presents his ideas and presents the video and presents the research he's doing and like the way he presents his film is all really really explicitly thought about and it's a delight to watch and I really recommend it like he's a really really good filmmaker who does YouTube videos. Like, right. But, okay. you know, why not? But, it, but I really it recommend got, it.
1: It got me thinking, though, because I was, what, like, as usual, I just stick on the X-Files. It's like my sleepy time thing. <laughs> like, and then I was thinking, oh, does that, like, Mulder believes in all this kind of stuff. Would Mulder be a flat earther? And it got me really upset then. And I then it don't
2: rem- think Mulder would be a, Black Earth, a, a flat earther. I think that the, um the what's he calls them? The three the, lone gunmen. Yeah, lone gunman, sorry. Yeah. They would be, definitely.
1: Because I remember Brandon almost made me cry once because he was like, ah, oh, Mulder would blatantly be a Trump supporter. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't believe that. I cannot believe that.
2: No, Mulder, I don't think so. I think Mulder is explicitly not political. Yeah. <laughs> like either side, he wouldn't definitely. He's not Ta- like Alex Jones, who in, the, in like 2000 said he was not for either side. Right. And now he's explicitly Trump. He wouldn't be that, I think. That wouldn't be Mulder.
1: Take that, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but it is the, it is the difficulty of actually trying to keep products like that working twenty years later. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It is the it is the difficulty that we have that people keep going back to these characters that were born out of like kind of politics and ideas in the nineties and try and update them for now when the world's very different. guys. Mm. Like, like do something else.
1: Don't just rely on that. Uh, the last film I watched was uh, well I, I was supposed to watch Heart of Glass because. Uh, uh James picked it out of my list. Okay, yeah. But I sure. just I just couldn't get around to it. Um You've already
2: failed. You've know, already I, failed.
1: <laughs> I know. I did watch Zappa though, the documentary by Alex Winter.
2: You okay. Know, okay. Bill, okay.
1: from Bill and Ted. And I'm just going to say this right now. I I want to be friends with Alex Winter. Like I just <laughs> think he's such a awesome guy. If you ever follow him on Twitter, he just comes across as like just the coolest guy. I've probably got a little bit of a man crush on him, but anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) I think he's a really good filmmaker, and I don't know if you've watched any of his other documentaries and stuff like that in the previous years. I'm
2: not sure, I'm trying to think if I have, I I don't think I have, no. Um, I might have watched Deep Web, I think I've seen Deep Web, did he do that?
1: Yeah, he did Deep Web, and obviously he directed Freaks, which is a film that's totally up my alleyway, which is totally bonkers and bananas. Um, and did
2: he do the Napster documentary?
1: He did as well, yeah. yeah. He They're also did one last them. year that was about child actors. Yes. he was a child actor himself. Um, but this Zappa documentary is, is really, really, really good. Like, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of Zappa, but I definitely know enough of his work to say that, you know, I like you know, like some of his tunes, like... I don't know anything about Frank Zappa. I'm, well, I mean, I'm he's really famous down, for but... doing, like, what's, you know, kind of psychedelic freak-out music. Yeah. So if you ever yeah. see, like, videos from, like, the 60s and 70s yeah. and performing, people are just, like, flailing around on the floor and kind of...
2: I could definitely point to something and go, that's Zappa-esque. Yeah, But yeah. I couldn't kind of, like, show you a Frank Zappa song or something. Like,
1: but it's, it's quite interesting to learn a bit about the man. Like, he was, a, he was, like, a proper, like, kleptomaniac. So whatever he recorded or any interview he was on, he kind of had... He kept it all. So if you go into his basement in his house, it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of recordings and videos wow. and stuff like that. But they were all starting to deteriorate, and so I think sure. obviously uh, Alex Winter found out about this, and he I think he was very keen to do a documentary on Frank Zappa anyway. But it yeah. became like a restoration project, so they restored every single thing. Wow. In that, so that's really he did, cool. He did like a massive Kickstarter where I think this whole film is well mostly funded by kickstarter i think one of the perks was you could you could get frank Zappa's house i don't know if anyone actually (laughs) pledged enough to get that but um but like if just the wealth of material like frank Zappa may as well have like been a contributor to the documentary because his voice is like all over it like just talking about it It, it feels like he's there even though he died like 30 years ago he feels like he's there and it's like all framed around the um kind of the dissolution of Czechoslovakia. Uh, so, okay, so, right. So basically, he his music in Czechoslovakia, so rock music there was called Frank Zappa music. <laughs> so like none of the people in Czechoslovakia had never heard Frank Zappa's music as such, but they just, his name was like in reference to rock music. Yeah. So he, when they became like the the Czech Republic and Slovakia, they had a big, huge like thing in the Czech Republic, a big music event that kind of like signified, you know, this is the new kind of, you know, the new thing now. And they <laughs> invite, they invited him over to perform. And he's like, you know, he was, he was famous for like the last, you know, 20, 30 years before that. But like he was being mobbed and he'd never experienced anything like that. And he didn't realize why. And it's because people thought him was like a, a god essentially, because you know he's this kind of like figure that they kind of grasped onto, even though they didn't know anything about him and stuff. And it's quite cl- quite interesting to see that. But um, that's cool. But like, I didn't realize he pr- he did like over a hundred albums. He did like he composed music for films. He did like massive orchestra kind of things. Mm. And, like you know he like you may know one of his famous songs called Valley Girl. Which came I out in the eighties. I would not know the title, but I
2: might if you heard it, I might know something.
1: And the only reason why that song exists is because like he's such a perfectionist that he kind of I, I wouldn't say he put his family on the back foot, but I think a lot of creative people kind of get in their own head to a lot and they kind of it's all about the work. And yeah, I think you can he's neglect, yeah. And his daughter just wanted to spend time with her dad and said, like, let's make a song together. So they did a song called <laughs> Valley Girl, which he thought was just a throwaway song. But it became, like, his most f- famous piece of work that he did the most popular. It was the only song that he did that charted and stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But being Frank Zappa, everyone was like, so what's the follow-up you're going to do with Moon Zappa, who's his daughter? And he's like, yeah. well, I'm going to do this obscure weird shit that no one wants <laughs> to hear about. Because he was all about kind of going against the grain and stuff, like, yeah. he... Um, he was like he, you know, like if you ever get an album, it says parental advisory. Yeah, he was like one of the people who was responsible of getting those on uh records because, like, you know, kind of like the Mary Whitehouse kind of people were saying, you know, that the music was obscene and stuff, and there needs to. He he was very very much against censorship and stuff and. Uh, um. So he said, you know, proposed that how about, you know, we put the lyrics in the albums and, you know, we put a sticker that says parental advisory, you know, something as simple as that, which people never thought about. And so, mm. you know, they just stuck those on CDs so people could still sing about mm. what they wanted to sing about. And then the big thing that I took away from it was that on his payroll was a stop motion animator called Bruce Bickford. Okay. He did like these crazy psychedelic animations. They're amazing. And... um there's a whole documentary about him called uh, Monster Road, which I'm really itching to watch. Sweet, it sounds, really it sounds
2: cool. like you got a lot out of this. It's really oh cool. yeah, I
1: really enjoyed it. I yeah. definitely recommend it. Like, you, yeah, even if I'll you don't like out. his music, you definitely get a lot out of it. Like, he's a very interesting guy.
2: He's he's a character that I just I just know his name. You know, I know his face. I could picture his like big hair and his like like facial hair, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Long face as well. I can picture him. Just don't know anything about him. I don't know his music. You know. Um, that kind of the kind of proper flower power hippie stuff that psychedelic hip stuff has always kind of turned me off a little bit.
1: He's not really flower power hippie. Like he didn't do drugs. He was very straight that way. He didn't yeah. drink, but he just liked weird shit. <laughs>
2: but he was he was around that time period in the yeah, de- yeah, yeah 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 yeah. That's probably what my what I'm linking it to then.
1: But he he definitely like ha I think he lived in the valleys where. Um, in LA, where I think uh, the Manson kind of estate kind of Yeah, went. yeah. And as soon as they came in, they were like, nah, shit's going to happen now. So they all left. <laughs>
2: Talking of characters that existed loads and loads ago, tell me about Loki. Because you already bought it.
1: Oh, yeah. Loki is probably my favourite Marvel th- thing. Yeah? Oh, wow. I've, wow. I'd I'm lo- so happy. I just, like... I think I think I really enjoyed it, like the first four ep- episodes. I really enjoyed it, but episode five just blew my mind balls. I just yeah. it, it's everything yeah. like I love about comic book stuff, and they Same. They, they did yeah. it in this. They did I mean? it. They like,
2: nailed it. And like Richard E. Grant, oh bless oh. him! Like he just full force performance. I, I'm sorry if we drop spoilers. We should say that, but full force performance. Like I don't think that, it's um, a, I
1: don't think it's a spoiler that he's in it.
2: Well, they play it as a spoiler, I guess, because yeah. it's the after credits thing. But like, um, but f- just a full bodied, out there performance, like you know, as people on Black Check Blank Check would say, like bathing in the river of ham, like just absorbing oh, yeah. every bit of ham that he has, just fully put, fully committed. I just was that just makes everything work, mm. and not just like committed to like not just the kind of as you say the cape acting and performance of being like a like a super villain or superhero wherever you want to put, cast him as like, but actually just the committed to the emotional journey as well and that like, in getting the emotional journey of that character and understanding what that means in the, that performance even though you're dressed like classic loki just wonderful just fu- and- just fucking wonderful just everything i love about superheroes in that performance
1: what i love about his costume as well it felt like the way they shot it and everything it it didn't look out of place like a lot of people sneer at kind of like silly you know spandex costumes but if you light it right and you do it right yeah and you you kind of lean into it it can it can really work and I just like when he like okay please skip forward but when he constructs Asgard at the end yeah (laughs) It's just like that's yeah. a proper like oh my god moment. I absolutely
2: I was absolutely I was almost in floods of tears it's like he, not just tearing up like, it's like it just, you know
1: it's a guy who survived Ragnarok this version yeah. The thing he does is construct his home. Yeah yeah because all he in-
2: spent the rest of his life thinking about is his family yeah. and where he grew up and like the people he loved and that's what he does to kind of you know save the day to, to like that's his big final performance. That's such good like like emotional superhero writing. And I think, I think that's the best use of pure superpowers they've ever oh, done in yeah, Marvel. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Because they, they, they just they just leaned, leaned into, into it, and they didn't. Yeah. Just. Yeah, totally. Um, I was so on board, it. and just, it's just, the whole thing's working for me so well, like.
1: Yeah, definitely. I like I, I. It's made me want to watch at least. Um, one division. I'm not I'm, like like you. I'm not that fussed about like the the guns and tech kind of <laughs> okay. side I hate of Marvel the
2: stuff. Yeah, I do. you know,
1: which is <laughs> the thing okay. that annoyed me the most about Spider-Man. Like I love Spider-Man. Yeah, same. Yeah, but when they introduced like his tech suit and stuff, I was like, no, no, I just want him to be a kid with a spandex, not spandex, like a who? you know, like a well, yeah, it's fucking
2: like costume a- with crawls on walls. Yeah, like, exactly. And shoots That's- web. That's who he is. I don't need to have fucking an AI and like.
1: That's why I love the end of Homecoming, because it's just him in his, yeah. like, his like, sweats, basically. But, it's um, why I
2: hated about the end of the second film. Um, oh, when he makes the suit far from plane Home. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you've got to the moment where he's beaten, broken, his suit's damaged, and he has no way of contacting anyone else in the world. He's on his own. So what do they do? They don't let him be Spider-Man. They yeah. bring in fucking the super jet and he builds a super costume with his Pat with with John Favreau. And I was just so annoyed at that. That's such bad fucking writing yeah. for superpowers and superheroes. That's that just that superhero relying on the technology and the money behind him rather than relying on the fact that he's got these powers and he saved the day because he's got heart. That's what it should have been. It's fucking. That's that shit writing, Loki's good writing. It's <laughs> like I'm worried because I've seen like
1: all the toys have leaked from the new Spider Man film or they've been announced or whatever. And I've seen all the costumes and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like yeah. you can tell a lot from the costumes, I think. Like in Yeah. And I'm just looking at them like you're just selling toys at this point, just have him in his Red and blue suit's all you need. That's Spider-Man. Selling toys. So yeah. hopefully, as long as you've got Tobey McGuire wearing his red and blue suit, I'm happy. But, but then, <laughs> Until a trailer's released for that, we won't know we won't um,
2: with, with all the stuff they're building up in the Marvel Universe, and also Space Jam. I'm going to put Space Jam in this. Does it feel know, like
1: every single know,
2: person... Sorry, go on.
1: Did you know there's a Space Jam film coming out called Space Jam 1.5 or something? And it's... Uh, <laughs> Oh, what are they called? You know, the Teen Titans. You know, there's like, there's animated films. Oh yeah, Teen
2: that's already came out. Teen Titans Watch Space Jam. That's Yeah, and it's out. like Mystery
1: Science <laughs> Theater. What the fuck? Yeah.
2: Anyway, sorry, I, carry I, on. I really want to watch it. I don't know what it's going to be, but I, I, I really want to see it. Teen Titans Watch Space Jam. It's definitely already come out. It
1: has. Anyway.
2: Yeah, um... I feel like every producer in Hollywood watched Spider-Verse and got the exact wrong message. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, and they're all like, oh yeah, multiverse, Spider-Verse, that's what we're doing now. Flash fucking like all the, every Marvel film, Space Jam, everything's a multiverse. And like, no, you didn't get what made it work. And it's, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I'm worried about the future of, of what they're doing and yeah, I love I mean, multiverse shit I do that you know that like I love that kind of bonkers stuff about DC and stuff I loved like it just being wild like that but yeah but instead of like-
1: leaning instead of doing what they did with Loki whereas they introduced these Loki like there's a fucking alligator Loki you know all these crazy <laughs> stuff no what they're doing they're doing the member berries they're bringing back people yes. that were in films from years ago like yes. you know, don't get me wrong. I love Michael Keaton as Batman. Of course, yeah, yeah. But like, do I want to see a seventy-year-old Michael Keaton as Batman? I'm, <laughs> I'm, look, I'll watch it. But I, I mean, you kind of do. But I know what you're saying. I'd rather yeah. see the weird kind of crime syndicate. You know, yeah. Whatever was it? Owl? Whatever. I forgot what it's called now. In that, but um. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd Owl rather Man. see those bonkers versions rather yeah. than just. Them. I'd rather
2: see a fucking Bat Family. Christ, Hollywood! Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's I do bad like, time. <laughs> Like fucking hell. Like, just do it. Stop just having lone Batman everywhere. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, if, if Michael Keaton doesn't have a Bat family, what the fuck was Michael Keaton for? Like, you got to 17, <laughs> you didn't have anyone. I don't know. I don't yeah, know.
1: So, back to Loki. Like, I was saying to you, you've got Loki, you've got uh, a <laughs> Thanos' plane is in the background, or whatever it's called. His helicopter. Holicopter,
2: the f- Come on, Thanos copter. Come on.
1: Yeah. And then apparently, um, you know, the frog Thor
2: yeah Fogthor's in it he's yeah. in it in like in a jar yeah, and I was yeah. like
1: just those little details are amazing
2: yep that's what everyone wants it's yeah. the stuff like that my I'm the I'm not the biggest attractor of, of Thor Ragnarok but I have my issues with Thor Ragnarok in the fact that I think it's I think it it does that kind of thing where it's like ah we got rid of the nerdy stuff this is cool stuff kind of thing <laughs> and that's what I don't like about it I like yeah. I, like, I watch I w- I like Thor. I like like I like fucking uh, um, like the world that they build and the w- and the, the Warriors Three and Sif. Yeah, like, totally, I yeah. like all those characters. Like they're my friends. I want to see films with them fighting frost giants. You know, like I want that. Don't tell me that that stuff's boring and for nerds. Like and here's some rock music. Like I just that annoys yeah. me. <clears throat> Like, and it's not that I don't in, I, I do enjoy Thor Ragnarok. I just find it I found it like it was like telling me that I wasn't allowed to enjoy my version of Thor. Really, I I do um,
1: worry that these kind of more humorous ones will age badly. Do you I, know think, what I mean? yeah, I do yeah. And I like, um
2: I feel like Loki allowed me to like play in that world that it's all big and it's all like messy and it's all ridiculous and and crazy. But these characters are real. Like, I can believe that a guy would fall in love with another version of himself.
1: Oh, I think that's brilliant. Um, it's such a, like, a um, narcissistic kind yeah. of thing. I think it's I can, brilliant. I though. love
2: all that. I, I, I love watching Owen Wilson on screen. I just, I didn't realise that I'd missed him until I started watching this and going, I like Owen Wilson, I do. <laughs> like, when I, I found like out voice, he wasn't like... dead,
1: I was so happy. Like, I think I messaged you and I was like, oh, it's back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the only thing, I think I've said this to you, I wish they'd done one episode, which was a, a Monster of the Week episode. Episode two should have just been like, they should have just given me Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston, like bros, like, you know, forming that friendship. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, and just d- hunting on... down an, an a, like any variant. wouldn't have had to be been a Loki, just any variant. Like, just give me that relationship. Yeah, really and then at the, the end episode. it
1: could have been revealed that it was part of the... <clears throat> Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah, You um, could have
2: pushed along stories for it. It would have had. To, I think you would have had to do one more episode, maybe, of the show. That's but fine. I just. It was a bit crap that like they were selling their friendship so hard when literally they've had like a lunch together. <laughs>
1: like, yeah.
2: Um and it, so I just wanted a little more really.
1: Like the things that annoy me is that there's, there's ten minutes of credits at the end of each thing. I'm my. Like, do I need to know what? who the voice actor in Italy is of Loki? Do you know you don't have to watch them; you can turn it no, off. No, but, it, but you think, oh except- great, I've got a fifty-two minute episode to watch, then you are like, Disney oh, Plus. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, Disney Plus, yeah,
2: Disney Plus is the worst of that. Like, if you haven't watched it right until the last second, it's all it's constantly on your like continue watching list. <laughs> I fucking hate Disney Plus for that.
1: But, um, I like what, what I don't know if you got this vibe, but I definitely got like a in the what's the, what's the time. Travel time place called what's it called the TVA? TVA yeah. It yeah. in the offices like I don't know if they lit it on purpose, but I definitely definitely got like a seven vibe and like you know okay a bit of, yeah I don't know yeah.
2: It's meant to be it's meant to be uncomfortable. Isn't yeah it? definitely meant yeah, to be yeah, a, yeah. Like, like it's not meant to be like a friendly place. But like, it's it's kind
1: of got that totalitarian kind of yeah yeah like kind of I don't know with all the kind of propaganda kind of pictures around yes. And,
2: Big statues and, and faces, and, and the, the, yeah. the
1: little cute cartoon character that's kind of yeah,
2: you
1: know. yeah We um, lo-
2: sorry, we should move on,
1: yeah, totally. <laughs> an hour. Well, we haven't done this in ages, so we're
2: just catching up. <laughs> should, we, should, should we just move on, or have you got any final thoughts? Oh,
1: uh, no, I just love how I was like, oh, now they're bringing back Michael Keaton, but then also before that, I was like, yeah, bring back Toby McQuire. <laughs> 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 but anyway let's carry on let's go, let's, what are we talking about today then Liam well
2: right, yeah we're this is a big one I think for me this might not be a big one for like majority of people for me this is a big one because we're dealing with I think one of the best filmmakers ever <laughs> like, which is a uh, uh, Miss Agnes Varda
1: don't you have a picture of her on your wall like framed picture I do
2: I do have a picture of her shooting um, I think it's her first film On my wall, and she's standing because she's tiny. She's standing on the back of a guy to look through this huge (laughs) camera. It's a great picture. She she um, looks
1: a bit like Edna Mode, doesn't she? From uh... yeah, okay, yeah, that (laughs) works. Yeah,
2: but we're dealing with her um, 1985 film. Yes, we are 1985, aren't we? Which is called Vagabond.
1: (laughs) J'aimerais mieux m'en aller. Cette fille qui est venue chercher de l'eau, elle était libre. Elle va où elle veut.
2: Peut-être qu'elle mange pas à sa faim tous les jours, servie par sa mère. Des fois, ce serait mieux de ne pas manger. Moi, j'aimerais être libre. J'aimerais être libre.
0: quelqu'un ouais, ouais, je dors.
1: Mais vous savez où vous êtes là
0: Ben non, je suis arrivée dans la nuit.
1: Mais c'est si cimetière, il ne faut pas rester là.
0: Hé,
1: oh. il hey, a pas un petit boulot pour nettoyer les tendres
2: I should say, actually, coming out of the trailer, I should say, actually, in French, the title is "Sans ni loi um, Yeah, which means, not like, Yeah.
1: so it means, like, without roof or rules or neither shelter nor yeah. law or something like that.
2: Yeah, no shelter nor law or something, which is a pun title. Right. Uh, it's based on a French idiom that's, um, I think it's no religion or, or no law. I think okay. it's the, the pun title. So it's, a, it's literally a pun on that and wouldn't translate I guess though I think No Shit or No Law would work as a title even if I don't understand the context of it But
1: so is this where I sit back and you tell me all about Annie's father now for about yes, half an hour yes for about two hours <laughs> I don't, no, no it's okay
2: it's okay it'll be fine I think because like, we've um, I really want to do this film um because I, I, we, I've I always tried to push like a woman filmmaker every season yeah. I think we should and the difference with the eighties, is if I'd taken maybe two more seconds I might have put another one in serious series but I'm not very good at building these mini-series I feel um, well, <laughs> but, I um, think you doing a good job I think like it's worth before we actually talk about Agnes um, and I should say her name is Agnes I will call her Agnes because yeah, I have a it's... cat called Agnes <laughs> like and I will get mixed up but I just want to say to anyone listening I know her name is Agnes and I apologise when I say it wrong
1: <laughs> look you say what's his name the the, the critic You always say, you put a G in his name, don't you? Egbert. Yeah.
2: That's just canon now. That's just how we say his name on the podcast.
1: (laughs) So we just put Gs in words, so just deal with
2: it. Yeah, that's what we do. We just put Gs in places. But I think, like, it's worth, like, catching up with kind of what women filmmakers in the 80s were like, I think, before we go into um, Agnes, Um, because we've covered, like, 50s, 70s and very different kind of eras for female filmmakers. And the 80s is very different again, actually. And, like, the 80s is really, we, we speak about this a lot, it's the 80s is when, like, the studio system grew too big, really. And it's where blockbusters really only kind of out, out coming out the 80s, blockbusters are really the only kind of films that managed to survive, which is even more. Well, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, giant, these giant auteur-driven films kind of died in the 80s, really, um, which is kind of what we're slowly seeing in the, some of the films we're covering, even though we're trying to cover those smaller films. But, like, really profit-driven, that kind of 80s, like Reaganism, capitalism kind of took over films in the 80s by the end of it. And so like, you think like Heaven's Gate or One from the Heart or like Rampage, you know, like um, Coppola, Friedkin, those kind of 70s or tears suffered in the 80s. They couldn't kind of get their films made anymore because they weren't making enough money. But I think the alternate side to that, and I think some people, I think what I see series is trying to explore a little better than the blockbuster side of the 80s is the fact that all budget films existed in the 80s. Mid-budget films were healthy in the 80s. Um, they weren't independent. They were studio films. In the 90s, you get kind of mid-budget and they're more independent. But in the 80s, they were studio system films that were coming out of this mid-budget kind of range. And I think that's actually what, in that system, actually gives women a voice in the 80s, especially in Hollywood, that hadn't happened beforehand. And you actually start seeing, actually quite a lot of female filmmakers making movies in the 80s. To give you some examples. Maybe you can guess the uh, the um, directors. I don't know. Oh, but, God. like, um, <laughs> okay, decline of Western civilization or dudes who <laughs> directed them.
1: No, I have no idea. <laughs> Penelope Spheris
2: Oh, really? Okay, Wayne's World. So she gets yeah. a start in this. one you get um, Desperately Seeking Susan. So yeah, that's um, Susan Sealdeman, Seidelman. Uh, Valley Girl, Real Genius. So that's, like, Martha Coolidge. I wonder if the Frank crossing... Zappa song's in that. Oh, probably, yeah. Valley <laughs> Girls with Nick Cage as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, You get Crossing Delancey from Joan Mickling-Silver. You get um, Jumping Jack Flash and Big.
1: Who's it did Near Dark? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow, She does yeah. uh,
2: Loveless and Near Dark, yeah. And she's one of the only ones who really survive, I think, this into making her movies bigger. She takes the blockbuster route where a lot of these um, directors don't do that. But you get, like, Penny Marshall jumping that flash big. You get Amy Heckling, Fast Times movement yeah, yeah. High, Look Who's Talking. Uh, Lizzie Borden does Working Girls. Elaine May does get Ishtar out of this, but yeah, it's a different yeah. kind of conversation. But, like, um, <laughs> that's a whole Mary, other thing though. That's a whole other thing. Mary Lambert gets Pet Cemetery. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, Claire Denis uh, does uh, Chocolat, her first film. I know, not a studio, not a Hollywood film, but, you know, that's a big female filmmaker who gets a start in the 80s. Um, and I think the big one the one where I was toying with covering but I don't think it'd be a fun episode is Barbara Streisand gets Yentl, yentl. and that's like
1: oh wow I think the,
2: <laughs> that's a huge film in the 80s it's a massive film it's a huge like Oscar winner like and she does all you know she works she does all of that she does the acting the directing the writing everything Like, she, that's an absolute Barbra Streisand led like thing and I think those films wouldn't have existed in previous like years in the 70s that's something to do with like the 80s filmmaking really and as i say i think only really bigelow manages to take that on further mm. that's another conversation about the 90s like but like um but the other side of that really is kind of european filmmakers as well Women had been more successful in Europe. Women had been making more films since the 60s in Europe. It wasn't easy. I'm not trying to say it's easy. Like, Agnes Vard herself says that, like, she never had a fucking budget. Her whole life she never had a budget. No one gave her any money to make films. You know, she was every point she was always struggling for money. Well, you don't really have Uh, the
1: studio system in Europe, do you? You just kind of have, like, production companies. So it's probably a bit easier to kind of... I wouldn't say easier, but it's... I
2: think there's... I think in some way it gives people more of a voice somehow. Mm. There isn't so much that kind of gatekeeping aspect to it. There's gatekeeping in money, but not so much in other aspects. But, you know, it's just different. Um, but the films tend to be cheap. They tend to have their own production companies. Most female European directors set up their own production companies in the 70s and 80s, like, to be able to kind of then bid for money. And I think it's worth mentioning that two, you know, there's two... Directors really that come out of this that have been making films in the 60s, like still making films in the 80s, and both of them have been g- given a Governor's Ball Oscar as well. There's only two. So, that's uh, one is Agnes Varda, who we're covering today, but the other is Lena Wertmuller, um, who we should, we should have covered in the 70s probably, but you know, we can only do so many films. But she, was, um, she did like uh, Seven Beauties, which was the first female director to ever get nominated for, an, for the best director. Uh, she did summer night and Kamora in the 80s like you know her as well if you see her picture you know you know lena Vertmuller, even if you don't know her name she's incredibly like yeah, iconic yeah. um and the only really one i think then is agnes is uh, who comes out of this system and she her i think where she is in the 80s is really worth exploring as well we'll get into it but um it's also like where um there are few. There are not that many female heroines of a film as well, like Vagabond, right, like okay. the movie we're covering today. I, like, I don't. Most of the '80s films that are coming out were kind of like, especially pic, like depicting teens. She's seventeen in this. We're kind of like John Hughes. Really, you're looking at suburbia. Don't think you really looked at stuff in this way. And I think that's the other. Like, thing about Agnes doing this film is that she's giving a female protagonist that has just no compromise to her, which oh, really yeah. feels like a film that I've never really seen before.
1: Well, like, I forgot um, to mention, but I re watched uh, 16 Candles this week. Okay, I, used to, yeah. I used to love that film as a kid, and I just, it really, it really, I really didn't like it. <laughs> I really kind of <laughs> like. I, I struggle with
2: some of them going
1: back. I agree. Like, you know, there's an Asian character, and every time you see him, a oh, gong God. goes off. You know, yeah, yeah. not only that, he, you know, he speaks in like ringlish or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, it's right. really over the top. And then, you know, there's conversations about like pretty much how they're going to rape a girl, pretty much. And it's just yep. all talked about in jest. And it's like, it's, I know it's totally off topic, but I was just, <laughs> not, I, like, it's weird. Like, you know, I used to, Love those films when I was a kid, like you know, 16 Candles and Breakfast Club and stuff. And like, you look back at them now and you think
2: they've dated, well, they have. Whereas, yeah. I don't
1: think this film has. No, like, I, I don't it, think this film has like, at all. This film made like, me like a truck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like, I didn't like, I, obviously, it's clearly set like in the 80s or whatever, but it doesn't. Yeah. It, it, this is feels like a film that could be told, could be made now. This is and, a
2: film about a person, and that person has already always existed. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Now, like, it's it's not important about when she was living. It's important about the type of person she yes, is, and yeah. she is not a type of person we see on films.
1: Well, she's ever, a person think, that just like, literally just picks her nose and just flicks it or spits on yeah. the floor, or you know, she doesn't say thank you to any like not once does yeah, she yeah. say thank you like to any of these people. And so she's just like, as you said, she's like she's uncompromising, tough. She's,
2: yeah, yeah, and like. I think there's a good quote that I pulled out of it I think it was the Paris Review that I was reading and they say like male drifters you know in films male drifters they're doing like penance for something which they might be innocent of but they can't forgive themselves kind of thing that's like the male drifter model that's like Paris Texas or whatever like, yeah, yeah. like countless westerns and things um, like a woman alone is crazy like if that woman isn't a sex worker she's even crazier yeah, she's just like, insane yeah yeah because she has no purpose and she's serving no one like and that's this this is like norma Noma in this picture like um but there's three categories of like women drifters in films you get some something must have happened to them like kind of like nomad land or they must be this victim of something like wonder or yeah. they must be like on a on a on a journey of self discovery you know like wild or eat pray love like um mona won't have any of that Mona well, is, is not she's so uncompromising uncom- to those kind of like roles I think
1: well I mean one the film it purposely leaves a lot of things out yeah. you know we'll we'll get to it later about how she films certain things but like you, yeah, know, yeah. you don't you don't know anything about Mona her, her history whatsoever
2: to go what you're saying like um, the term like elliptical editing that's what like, I was going to talk sh- about yeah like a yeah. lot of
1: things are like cut off before it's even said or yeah. you know you know um
2: so like, you know, it's, she, there's, we don't see like conversations she has with people that would normally in films tell us her history. We don't see her like, like explaining about the amount of times, I don't know, she's gone to get food in a nunnery or how she kind of gets hitchhiking lifts all the time. Yeah. Those little conversations aren't given to us, and meaning that we have none of her history. Her history is like, her history is entirely based on the weeks that we see her for her history is not based on the time before and
1: also her. also we're, we're supposed to kind of i guess you could almost say it's like an unreliable narrator because we're kind of it's all these like 18 different people who speak to the camera yeah and it's like yeah. their account of of her i'm guessing i mean i know you kind of see her outside of these as well
2: yeah but, but it is there it's
1: like it's, it's their, as their s- perception of her and how they yeah. view her kind of and um, the, I mean, a lot of the times you do see her on her own. It's usually a tracking shot that follows her.
2: Yeah, those tracking kind of, shots are very important. Like. That
1: kind of drift off. And she kind of drifts off because she she's going on another journey that we don't like. It's like you're saying the elliptical editing, that you don't know where she's going or what she's doing. And yeah. she's always going, I don't know if it's if there's any reason why she's always going from right to left. I think she's always going in the yeah, same I've, direction. Yeah,
2: you're right. Um, Varda, think- basically, she wanted the camera to walk with her in the film so she came up with the idea of using tracking shots that kind of separate these little kind of stories of the film so there were 13 of them and they all go right to left vada says this is in her later documentaries that she she purposely made it go right to left because it was jarring because it's opposite to the way that we read in the west Yeah, yeah, yeah so um so she wanted it to be these weird tracking shots that are pushing the road with her and each tracking shot is exactly one minute long. And it starts with like just Mona entering. It starts with like a rural landscape or something, something like that. And it ends on like an object or a local element as well. And she wanted those things that it starts with and ends with to be hints of the mystery that we're watching. Um, So every 10 minutes, a one minute tracking shot comes into the film that tells you a little bit about this movement of time, movement of passages and showing like, and showing the landscape that Mona's living in, which is a rural landscape, but it's not charming. It's horrible. It's it's a tough rural landscape. It's no, it's not like a lovely, picturesque scene.
1: Well, because and, didn't Varda do a film called Cleo? And there was a lot of tracking shots in that. Yeah. But the character's always, always in the centre of the frame at all times, whereas yeah. like these yeah. ones, she's always leaving. Like, there's the one where she gets raped as well, like... Mm. And the, the camera yeah, just fuck. kind of drifts off, and like, but drifts off again. But like Which you am so glad for. <laughs> but like, yeah, totally. But like, it's not like I spit in your grave, thankfully. But like,
2: exactly, yeah. You can but, tell Vard is behind the camera.
1: But it, it, it's really interesting because you don't see how she. Well, I guess you kind of do, kind of see how she reacts to this because this is after that. I mean, we'll get to the story later, on, but that's, I guess, when she kind of meets it with those lads, kind of, and then kind of yeah, gets a bit yeah, it's, more reckless, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Um, and, like, I think it's worth talking... Because, as you you mentioned, Cleo, which is by far um, Agnes' biggest film, which is actually the one I've been saving. I've seen loads of her films. Like, I think I've I've logged something, like, 25 films on Letterboxd or something. like, <laughs> And that includes her shorts as well. Because she's a female filmmaker working in the 60s, 70s. She did stuff like... She did, like... Um, like uh, tourist videos and stuff and and five minute shorts and stuff like her tourist videos on like the like the, uh, the castle in Normandy is wonderful. It's the best, like, you've ever seen. I can see that, though,
1: because the cinematography in this film I thought was fantastic. Like, the opening yeah. shot of just that kind of tree with the kind of, you know, the fields in oh, the background. Oh, that, that um, I wanted
2: to ask you about that. It reminds me of, like, a kind of a, a renaissance art or something. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. the way it looked and things, and, and it was framed. The
1: thing that pissed me off was the credits on the front, and it's like, just get rid of that. <laughs> it's <was> just, <laughs> let me just look at this image. With this kind of really haunting music over the top. Yeah, which
2: like, was written specifically for the tracking shots that music was as well. Yeah, I, th-
1: I loved it. I, th- I thought it was great.
2: And it's worth like it's worth mentioning that this film is a mix of documentary and, and fiction. Uh, all of Varda's films are. That's who she was as a person. She came out of, like, photography. She was a photographer before she made her own film. The first film she made was, you know... It's, arguably started the new wave but it actually came before the new wave it's one of those uh but la pointe court uh Courta, I- i'm bad at pronouncing that film is the same as this as it's like a mix of like fiction and documentary the right. same thing that the film she made just before this is called Documenteur, and it's about like a single woman in uh, la with her child and she shot it purely in a documentary style as in the only actors were her and um, the child, and everything happening around them, she just caught it if it was happening. There's an argument, and it was just an argument in the street that she shoots. Wow. Like, she does all this. That so She just blends documentary and fiction really well. And this film's the same. There were a ton of people in this film that aren't actors. They're literally just people that, that she'd met. Yeah, because so there's a lot like, of
1: non-actors, isn't there, local people, aren't they? Yeah, like,
2: literally, like, like the old she lady. basically... <laughs> Yeah, like the old lady, which is the best fucking scene. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, but like this goat herders, that was just a goat herder she'd met. That was a that was a dropout philosopher who was doing goat herding, and she basically went back to him and said, "Can you do like you? Can you tell me your story the way you did? But I'm going to shoot it for this film now." Uh, the Tun- the Tunisian um, field worker wasn't an actor; he was a Tunisian field worker, um, and she put him into this film. The person that Mona was based on is in this film as well. She's right at the end of the film. She's in like the bus station and she's talking to an old man. She yeah, looks yeah. a little bit like Mona. She's the actual Mona. She's she's the, yeah, the um, real vagabond that she met. She's the real vagabond that she met and spoke to. There's a documentary on the Blu-ray which I really want to watch, but she goes back to this place in the oh, okay. 2000s and she ch- and she meets everyone again. She's like a find criterion? Stuff. Yeah, it's on the criterion. Yeah. I wonder
1: if it's available in the UK because I know we haven't got all the criterions here yet
2: yeah i don't know i kind of want to just buy the criterion box set even though i don't really buy physical media like you, you but I just, I just love her like i don't even have a blu-ray player i just love
1: i've got a spare one you're more like... than welcome to her <laughs> um do you reckon chloe Zhao was that i can't pronounce her name chloe Zhao was Zhao. kind of was like influenced by her by that's a good call no Man Man yeah because right? obviously she uses a lot of real people and yeah. you know that's a film about a person who's kind of Wondering. on the
2: edge of society and stuff like that yeah, yeah. i it's
1: mean i i possibly. actually think this is a better film than nomadland I mean, it is no, i, did, this I is didn't i didn't really film. get on with Nomadland. but like spoilers <laughs> i thought it was really fantastic the only yeah. thing that i i'm just gonna say it now the only thing i didn't like i'm not a fan of when people talk to the camera it's not a thing i particularly like okay. in films i get i get why she did it and does it it's yeah almost it's a, a very twice, specific decision in this yeah <laughs> it's like you know a lot of uh, a few films in the 80s did it, so I know like Harry Met Sally did it, and you know, I, okay. think, he, I think even like John Hughes did it with uh, She's Having a Baby, I think. I don't remember that. And it was like famous people, though. But I mean, it's very it's used in a very different way to the way this uses it, and I think this yeah. this uses it in a lot better way than that. But for me, it's just I don't snap- know, it's, li- it's one of those I've things that I'm some of a massive fan some of.
2: Some of the snapping when she just like a Yolanda, especially, that she kind of left the scene and just t- talks to you, like gives her narrative. I really yeah. liked that. Like I just, I I'm the same as you actually, that I think I wouldn't have liked it, and I surprised myself that how much I thought it just worked in this. I guess I got into the rhythm of the film. You know? Yeah, she put those tracking shots in. She get like each, each vignette basically on based on her life is interrupted by talking heads. Vignette. Just, <laughs> vignette. Did I just say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> vignette. I don't know how to say that word. Each section of this film. There it's we all go. about the G's. <laughs> I'm not good with G's. Um, <laughs> oh, each section of this film is basically interrupted by Talking Heads. The whole film is presented as like a literal documentary investigation of how did this girl die? Yeah, I, was, I assume like, you so. meant to
1: imagine it's the police detectives kind of asking questions. Yeah, I assume that's, that's me like, just yeah. projecting, but I assume that's like what it is.
2: Either or, or really. Like, but we can uh, talk a little bit about Vard as well in her career as well because it's quite interesting where she is in the '80s, really so um you need to know that she's married to jack uh, demi uh who she he was a director of the umbrellas of Cherbourg. Sherbourg. um that was huge success and hollywood offered him a ton of money basically so he went to la and Varda followed him so like so vada like comes to la in around like the end of the 60s 70s and she cannot get a fucking contract at all. Like she just can't. Like they're n- n- not interested in giving her any money or <laughs> whatsoever. There's a. Um, both of them actually found it difficult to work in America, but Varda found it especially m- difficult to work in America. There's a really good story about she was getting really close to making money to make a film called Peace and Love, right. and um, there was there was a uh, there was a studio executive that pinched her cheek, in, and um, she slapped his oh. hand. <laughs> And set she and like seems an like objective. a woman you
1: wouldn't do that to you. Just yeah, I mean, you don't do that to, to anyone, like a baby really, but, No, but you, you don't. But,
2: uh, but that just lost her the funding. That was it. That was she. she wasn't going to give any funding to make any If films you show, in LA,
1: if, so she, sorry, if you're a woman, you show some spunk in the '80s or '90s, and yeah, no, you're, you're problem, not going to no. get anywhere. Um, well, I don't so agree with that. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just say that now. <laughs> just
2: put, and so basically like she leans into the documentary filmmaking that she'd always done. It wasn't new to her, but she really leans into it in this time period. And her, the documentaries that come out in this time are brilliant. Like she does like th- what I think one of the only films in the black Panthers that exists as like actual oh, really? kind of like primary f- footage is shot by her. Um, it's, it's the Huey P Newton, like rally that was going on. Um, and it's all shot by Varda. It's brilliant. She does a film called Uncle Yanko, Uncle Yanko, which she basically finds like an old uncle that was living in L.A., very distant uncle and just films their meeting together. And like they, it, they it's a fictionalized documentary on them, like when they met and stuff like that. It's really charming. Um, she did a she did Murs, Mers, Murs, Murs, which is about all the kind of murals of L.A. and the people who paint the murals there it's a lot about the kind of um latino community in LA as that that documentary mm-hmm. is it's fucking wonderful um she also did you know documentaries on cuba where it's entirely made up of photographs and she it's an animated film because it's all photographs that she just then makes like animates the scenes out of the photographs she was taking cuz i think i said she was a photographer first and um the big one as well she does is she goes back to france where she lives and she does a, a documentary that i cannot pronounce uh, Darugo types, Deruja types uh, but right. it's basically based on her street and it's about all the shopkeepers on her street and she literally just stands in these shopkeepers in seat and watches the people come in and who gets served and stuff like that it's really charming and like her lens is so um, I th- you get it from this film, her lens is so like, empathic, it, it cares about the people that she shoots, she, she has a, a way of like filming people and a way of investigating them that you can tell that she really cares about who is this person what is their life you know like what do they love what do they what do they hate like i don't i, I don't find it a judgment her camera's not like a judgment i think like i feel like i feel like Agnes kind of loved everybody kind of you know like she saw faults right. in people and and that didn't matter to her and i I, think I just get that all and i think that that experience of that documentary filmmaker through this time feeds into this film directly i think like it feeds into the way that she looks at these interesting people that are off the path and a bit run down and they might maybe you think they're rude or maybe you think they're kind of like abrasive or maybe you think they stink you know but what's the humanity behind them and who's the person behind them i think is is what she was shooting for when making this
1: so sorry to (laughs) backtrack what was the film you said that she made that was animated with photos
2: it's called um, it's called Hello to the Cubans or something like that.
1: So, like, in a um, way, like, La Jeté was kind of... Uh,
2: I'm not by sure. By Chris... Ma-
1: Ma- Is it Chris Marker?
2: I n- I'm not seeing that, so I can't tell you.
1: Yeah, so he... You know La Jeté was the... It's like the basis of Twelve Monkeys, and it was, like, all photographs that kind of told the story
2: Oh, about. right, yeah. So I wonder if yeah. they
1: were kind of contemporaries as well, because that was around... Probably. Like the, that was in the 60s, wasn't it? So I Yeah. This is literally.
2: She goes to Cuba during like just after the revolution, and she just takes a her a, a camera instead of a film camera, and she takes something like three thousand photo- photographs, and she just then animates her like journey in Cuba using the photographs and stuff. It's really it, it really works actually. <laughs> I don't think it would have, it really works okay. as a film, and um, I think it's worth like. She's a, you know, she's a feminist filmmaker. I think it's worth saying she's a feminist filmmaker. Over the years, she's been criticised for not being a good enough feminist. I think that always <laughs> happens. Um, that's the, that's but, um, the thing.
1: Like it's like Lin Manuel Miranda. Like you know, he's been, he's he's been criticised, wasn't he, for doing in the Heights and stuff. Oh, and it's, colorism. It, yeah, yeah. It's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Sometimes True. And some, it's it can be sometimes credible. It's credible. Yeah, totally. I think like um, but to call her not a feminist filmmaker or not enough oh, it's, it's insane. It's a bit, it's a bit bonkers.
2: And I want to shout out like her 1965 film, uh, Le, it's called Happiness, but Le Le Bonheur, Le Bonheur. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it blew me away when I first watched this film. It's the most feminist film I've ever watched. Like, and it's it's like Get Out, but for like feminism. Like, it's, it's this. It paints like this picture of like a perfect worldview of like happiness and flowers and sunshine and, and gorgeous family. And the, the story slowly dissolves into like the fact that this guy's having an affair and like he basically has an affair with the clone of his wife and stuff like that. Like, oh wow. Um, and it all builds up to like him convincing himself that this has made his, his family life better. And, you know, spoilers for <laughs> a very old film, but. The wife ends up killing herself in this and he just happily replaces her with his new girlfriend. Like, and the end of the film is just like, almost like a clone of the start of the film with the sunshine and the flowers and the happy family just with a new wife. And she was massively criticised for the film about, like, talking about women as replacement. Like, you can just replace them and don't care about them. But it's not. It's a fucking horror film. It's Get Out. It's like, it's, it's saying that this is how society views you you're just like a pretty face it doesn't matter who you were you just need to fill the role of like lovely woman lovely mother lo- you know right um it's fucking wonderful and to take that and then in the 80s then do this film which you know Varda's talked about and she says that it, this is not a gentle film it's the mo- least gentle film she's ever made um and she talks about it the fact that she didn't realize this but In the time, in the 70s, the French were going through a lot of, like, protest movements about women's liberation. And there's a big thing that abortion was still illegal. Uh, She was one of um, 343 women who signed this, it's called Manifesto of the 343, that admitted that had abortions, despite it actually being illegal. And they were protesting for it to be, you know, to be made legal. She makes a film about it called One Sings and the Other Doesn't. And she realised that coming into this, making this film in the 80s, she was just angry. And yeah. she was seeing all these people protest and seeing all these people yell in the street. And she, and I got a quote. She says that the feminist struggle had to be um, had to be collective to exist. I tried to be a joyful feminist, but I was really angry. I was angry about rape, domestic violence, clitoral excisions, abortions in appalling circumstances, young girls going to hospital for fighting but being refused painkillers because they were being told that no an- no anaesthetic that will teach you not to fight like she saw like the women's rights movements and struggle for abortion rights and and that in like workers rights revolutions and and protest and and like she even loaned out her house for like abortions and it was illegal and stuff like that like and just then seeing how the police treated women all the time it just made her want to make a film about the kind of lawless vagabonds in her society like she wanted to film you know she saw that everyone in the street was desperate for freedom that's what she constantly heard was people saying, like, we want freedom. We want freedom. And she was like, the feminist movement isn't about freedom. And she wanted to make a film about that. And that's like the, the overarching story of Vagabond is the fact that people keep being jealous of her for being free. But she's not free. <laughs> like, she, like, it's you need more than freedom. To live your life, you need like you need everything else. You need liberty. You need like support systems. It's not you need equality. It's not just the idea of being free. Like being free will kill you. Which is just what this film's about. Basically. Well, what the, the <laughs> one
1: guy says? It's not wondering It's withering, doesn't he? You
2: know? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic line. Yeah. So, and what are um, you going to
1: tell me about Agnes Varda then? And uh... <laughs>
2: I need to shut up I, 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 can, I can, I'm really can joking. wind me up and I just go like I've just I've just
1: read she's got a film called kung fu master I'm assuming it's not about kung fu
2: but that's a, I've not seen that that's a weird film that's a very controversial film as well it's about oh, really? an older woman having a relationship with a younger boy like a kind of like well like, like, Harold like and Maud, old but like, uh... <laughs> like an older teen or something got you. like um it's a really controversial film I haven't seen it okay. but I'm interested to watch it like
1: I'm definitely interested and, to watch any of her films. And they all look like they're under, like, 90 minutes as well, which is... Yeah, they're definite. short. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, like... Um, to like a thing, stature, like latter part of her stature, are You
2: what? i just talk about the latter part of her career a little bit, just to say that, like, she stopped... This is one of her last narrative films she makes. Right. I don't think, think it's her last. I think there's one or two more. Um, but, like... She then made like a, a, a Jack DeNantes, Jack de Nantes, about her husband who dies in around nineteen ninety one. Um, they say he died of of cancer, but actually she revealed before she died that actually he died of AIDS. Oh, And okay. they completely they completely hid that at the time because they didn't want to be judged. Um, but she fully goes into kind of like these kind of um documentary making. So in the two thousands, when she is much older, <laughs> like you know. Uh, so that like, 2000 um, she when I think she's 72 if I've done my maths right she picks up digital filmmaking basically uh, right. she starts getting obsessed with these little like DV cameras you know the stuff we were using to try and make films from <laughs> yeah. and she just sees like the freedom emphasis on trying we weren't we weren't we weren't yeah okay we were <laughs> making films from uh but she picks up these little digital handheld cameras and just sees freedom in them in a way that I don't think... You know, you get a few filmmakers doing it, but at 72, I think it's pretty impressive. Well, I just think, you starts-
1: know, with digital filmmaking, you can just keep filming and filming and filming and just, yeah. like, you know, capturing all that realism and just you, you've got so much to work with then to kind of... Yeah. To, ...to create something with.
2: And just so much... Just so much being able to hold a camera and turn it on. You know, like, that's it. Like just just being able to instantly capture, so she does like the gleaners and I, which is a wonderful documentary about about people who kind of gleaning is like when you take the potatoes from a field that weren't picked up for cropping. Um, so it's like it's not it's not scrumping when you take potatoes before they get kind of cropped, right. but it's it's. Um, but it's based on a painting, basically, of these... They're called the gleaners taking out the stuff that wasn't taken out of a field. And she just captures modern-day gleaners. So these are people, like, going through bins and going after... Like, after a market's been through a town, taking all the food off the floor and stuff like that. Or just gleaning, like, furniture, things that are thrown away. She does a documentary about these people that just pick up the trash, you know, to make stuff from, that stuff to keep. It's fucking brilliant. It's such a good documentary. And... Then in, like, 2017, she does Faces Places. Uh, she'd already done a career retrospective before them called Beaches of <laughs> Agnes. And then she comes back with a filmmaker called JR and does Faces Places when she travels around France finding people's stories and painting murals of them on, like, the places where they live. Was she uh, an artist the- as well, then? Was she, like... A- yeah, yeah, she did installation art as well. as part Of course of the she did. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um... But Faces Places earned her like you know an Oscar nomination, and oh wow, that was, she was in her eighties then, like 2017. She was born in 1924, 1928. I think it's, it's insane. Uh, Faces Places is wonderful. It's honestly one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And then she, her last film, she did a career perspective that I haven't watched yet. I'm holding off to watch it to watch to the very um, end. Yeah, which well, it sounds in like a year. proper died, conclusion,
1: like capping off point, doesn't it? Yeah. Like-
2: But even like, even the last, she was, she was one of the best followers on Instagram while she was alive. Like she was like, you know, she died in 2019 and her uh, her Instagram was fucking wonderful up until that point. Like, I think she's a, and I only really got into her around 2018, I think was when I first kind of learned who she was. So I got into her way towards the end of her career. And you've got our t just...
1: shirts you've got her action figures, you know. You <laughs> yeah, I've got action figures. <laughs> what would an Agnes, Va- A- Agnes Varder action figure be like? I don't know, it'd be wonderful.
2: <laughs> but I just, she's one of those people that I think when you kind of, like what we're doing, kind of trying to kind of teach ourselves about different people, um, she's just one of these figures that stand out to me, I think. of I can't believe I didn't know who she was for how long I watched films for.
1: You I'm know, looking like, at a, a picture from about ten years ago, and she looks like a hip lady. Like you know, her hair's yeah, like yeah. half of it. Like it's not like half of it down the middle <laughs> is a different color. It's like the top it's half. The, the half like, cut, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> she's wonderful. She's like, and she's so full of life. Um, and she's so interesting. The way she sh- shoots stuff, and I think that's what makes this film work. That she cares about the telling the story that she's telling, really. Should we um, i mean should we bash through the plot a little bit is that the best thing to
1: do sure i mean it's probably worth knowing i don't know about you but i thought it was like it's kind of got three different styles of movie in one okay so you've kind of got road movie kind of bits it's like a bit mm-hmm. of a mystery yeah. film and then you've kind yeah, of got what's, then you've kind of got what's a, called a network narrative which is like where you have different people like where stories like crossover and stuff like different characters yeah, kind of cross sure. over and stuff so i thought that was really interesting and um it's almost a bit yeah f- and the film's got a bit of a jigsaw puzzle kind of thing but yeah those are missing pieces so you never get the full kind of the full thing of it it's just a you, you kind of get the framework around it but you don't get all the details. you kind of
2: have to you have to do a little work yourself, totally. Yeah, to kind of to kind of connect everything up. What was your impression of why she ended up on the road? Obviously, like I'll tell you, like word from Agnes that her and the actress, who we haven't said a name yet, um, Sandrine. Yes, Sandrine, Is yeah,
1: Sandrine yeah. Bonaire. Was she Bonaire, actually seventeen who, when she made this film? She was seventeen when she, she made this. Yeah, it's such a a fantastic performance. Like it's, it's such a, it's yeah, so it's believable, full, isn't it? It's it's like. Yeah. In terms of like, what do I think happened to her? I mean, I, I, I'm still struggling to think of the word. But she's like, she exists purely in that the beginning of that moment and the end of that moment. Like, I mean, oh, okay. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. what. The, but, yeah. But she's so well rounded. Like, she's got so. But I, 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 I think if I was to think of what happened to her, I think it would do a disservice to. I don't know. That sounds a weird I get thing to that. say. But yeah. I, I like her just being this kind of... What am I trying to think? What's the word I'm trying to think of? She just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She just exists in this moment in this film. And that's it. The, like, it's... I don't know. There's something
2: about her, like, that at the start of the film, not the very start, but when she's alive at the start of the film, she... And she has that interaction with the truck driver where he basically, you know, propositions her yeah like and arguably arguably if you were being very favorable to him you'd say that he wasn't he was just being nice but you'd get the impression from like Mona that she dealt with these people a thousand times already she knows like what those words lead to they she knows how people talk about her and stuff well, um, yeah, and yeah treat I mean- her
1: you, you could probably she, it's probably not the first time she's raped as well do you know what i mean like no no you know, no it sounds horrible to say but like
2: yeah but she's like she you know she's incredibly abrasive straight off from him yeah um she she insults his truck immediately like yeah, you know no like radio says it's a piece of shit because it's not got any music or no radio yeah and uh she gets kicked out of the truck immediately like I will and say this: really...
1: the, the the French pop music they play in the film is not the best. They could have licensed some better <laughs> French
2: pop. There music. was one song I liked. I can't. Remember. There was one song <laughs> I liked. There was one song I thought was good, but I've no idea what it is. Um, there was what I really liked about that is the fact that you can tell yourself that she's being a complete dick, right? And yeah. then it immediately cuts to the talking head of the truck driver, who is a complete asshole. Yeah, like, exactly. and, and it proves and it proves her so right. That she he just got, she goes oh yeah I always pick up cute girls who are hitchhiking but if they turn out to be like a bra I, I can't remember what she says if they turn out to be too chatty or something I kick them right out the truck mm. or something like and it's um yeah it's basically she he couldn't handle that she had like some personality on her and he was looking to kind of you know hook up with her and, and use her in that way knowing that she was an easy target and Mona gets that and that it's like the first thing you introduce about her that she she's streetwise you know in that way but um then contrast that i think with the end of the film when she's you know sh- just left with the blanket and she's shivering i think then she suddenly looks 17 to me yeah Whereas, it, like, all
1: yeah all the innocence comes back to a kind
2: of yeah and it's kind of stripped away that was my bigger that was my point It's like the the start of like that truck scene i think she comes across as much older and much more learning by the end of it though all that's stripped away from her and she's got nothing and she just looks like a young girl who's like lost basically like
1: one thing I wanted to ask you was like where like where was she going like I mean obviously that's not really important where she was going but it felt Mm. like she was almost going around in circles or coming back do you know what I mean like she wasn't going in one trajectory going forward it's like she was no, like like like
2: cyclic isn't it like she's just like seeking out opportunity in the neighbourhood that's the kind of thing like the nunnery scene when she goes to get food from the nuns like it doesn't give you any indication about how many times she's done this before
1: what's the same place you mean the same yeah Yeah. is
2: this a place she regularly goes to get food from is is does she know these nuns like is does she know this is how it works like you know if you ended up on the street tomorrow you might not know that you can go to like a nunnery to get through but she knows this so how has she learned this you like that none of that's in the film it doesn't tell you any of that at all so you're left questioning has she like you know she fallen off back of a truck in this area of, of france does she know this area did she grow up here Exactly. Like, is yeah. this somewhere she's travelled? Like, is she travelling through? Is she trying to get somewhere after this? Or is this actually just where she... Does she just live here? Like, all that's just completely... It's unanswerable, really. Because it's not... It's not the mystery of the film, is it? The mystery is how she died. Yeah. And, like, who was she before she died, really. Um, like, which, I
1: lo- Sorry. No, no, go on. I was going to say, I really like, like her costume. Because, obviously, she wears the same thing through like, yeah. that entire film. And, you know, she... Uh, th- I don't know how they've done it but her fingers are like they've got that embedded dirt into her fingers and and her hair's a bit matted there's a
2: shot in this film I adore I took a screenshot of it when um, she meets the college professor and they're having a beer and both of their hands are on the table in front of them the college professor has her like they're beautiful they're manicured they're painted and opposite her is Mona's hands that look a lot younger, but they're like covered in dirt, like almost like it's seeped into the skin, you know. Like, and her nails are almost painted, but but in black, in dirt and, soot and stuff like that. I just I love that contrast of that little shot. I, thought By, it was brilliant.
1: I can almost smell her on the screen because I know, yeah, like, yeah. I know what people smell like, like that, and it's like, yeah. it's not a, it's a, it's not a pleasant smell, but it's not like no. a, it's a weird kind of. Set, like musty, kind of
2: well, that's what this film kind of asks of you, isn't yeah, it? Totally. Really, like it's like, how if you met her, how who are you in this film? Yeah, like, to- yeah, totally. Which one are you in this? Which, how do you react <coughs> to this? Like, because there's that and, one lady
1: later on who was like, she said, I got used to the, yeah. the smell of her. In when, my car. Once I got
2: used to the smell, I missed her, kind of thing. And it's funny, like, we, I mean, we know people like her a little bit. You know, like, we've met people in our lives who who are like this, kind of, and a bit homeless and a bit vagabondy, a bit, like, roaming and stuff. Like, we've met people like this. I think everyone does know people like this. But, like, I don't think I give myself time to really think about their lives much. Do you remember that that one guy?
1: We were at Reading Festival, and there was this guy who, and he claimed, like, I think he was British, but he obviously spent some time in Spain or whatever. And... He kept responding to people like if you if you asked him about what happened in Spain, he he would just respond in Spanish, and he. Would... Oh yeah. Shit. And and he just kept standing up saying bookends and stuff like, like yeah, like, like just a really weird guy, and like oh, apparently yeah. that this oh, was weird. the first time these people had ever met him, and he just stumbled <laughs> into their campsite and just became friends with them for the weekend and, like, so, yeah.
2: Similar vibe, eh? <laughs> well,
1: I should say, their campsite. He was in our campsite as well, so we obviously.
2: <laughs> um, what was. Oh, you made me think of something. It's gone back straight out of my head.
1: I'm trying to think what he's. Next, <laughs> I've got a picture of him. He's in my photo album. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's of you standing next to him, smiling or something. I don't know. Anyway, great.
2: <laughs> my memories, my memories are just don't exist in my head. I think like they just only exist when someone shows me photos of things.
1: Is this? Do you think this is like a thing within French new wave cinema? Like because obviously we talked about 400 blows in the last one, where right? it's about like characters who don't like fit in with like social norms and they're like outcast in society and they kind of a bit free to so. wonder. Is that like a theme that goes throughout? Kind of yeah.
2: Like, a big part of French New Wave is, and I don't know if this is the actual, the way of saying it, but it's the way I'll say it, is they they're very Marxist <laughs> in their right. filmmaking, uh, in the fact that they do care about, like, focus on issues faced by ordinary people. They're not interested in, like, the accounts of people in power. Like, it's very telling that, that Varda's version of Citizen Kane is about the poorest person, you know, and not about the richest person. And I think that... That is very much about what New wave was doing. It was trying to tell the stories of normal people of just people in the streets that you see and not just trying to tell stories of kings you know mm. businessmen and stuff like that. And I think that was a very much very much part of, all, of everything they were really doing and stuff.
1: Going back to that yeah. that dirty and smelly kind of thing there was a quote mm. I read in like a like I was reading some like um, essays about about the film. And the one that stuck struck out to me, is Mona dirty because she's free or is she free because she's dirty? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's good. That's good. And that's the thing, like the whole thesis of the film and it's Yolanda who really kind of like, um, like pushes this, is that she sees her and she sees her with her boyfriend. <laughs> the Boyfriend's got a chain around his neck.
1: Oh yeah, and he says I oh, threw away the key. <laughs> but is that really a boyfriend? I, I don't know if that was just a well, guy she's met one, like she just happens to have met this guy now and... It's,
2: it seemed to tell me that they spent a significant amount of time living in that kind of castle because they take over this like abandoned castle yeah. for a while. Um, and kind of the caretaker of it, which is Yolanda's uncle kind of lets them live there kind of without like just turns a blind eye to it. Um, so it, like, that's a big part of the film that they're living there for a while and they get attacked one night by uh, Yolanda's kind of scummy boyfriend and her and they they rob the place. Yeah. And um, uh, Mona sees her boyfriend. I, the guy's name's David or something like that, isn't it? Uh, he gets knocked out in the corner right oh, and yeah, she disappears. Yeah. And like the next talking head is is this guy talking, saying that like you know I thought we had something special together. I thought we were like going, you know, had some connection, but actually she just wanted to smoke my weed, or weed, <laughs> and, and and fuck off as soon as it, th- as soon as anything got difficult. And the, the truth is actually I was watching that and I was thinking but is that what happened? Cuz I don't think it is.
1: But that's, I think w- like it's like I was saying the unre- unreliable narrator they kind yeah, of like Yeah, it's unreliable
2: isn't it? Yeah. Cuz I was thinking in actual fact a gang attacked the place you were living. She saw you get knocked out by them and and legged it. That's not her fault. Like that <laughs> yeah, what well,
1: she's going to do stand there and like
2: Yeah, why know. would she take it she has to protect herself this is what she's learned you know like she's learned in her life that she needs to protect herself otherwise she's going to become one of the victims that like the goat herder talks about you know like alcoholics junkies and or loneliness eats you up is what he warned her of and I don't I, like I was definitely one of those moments I was like I know you can say that she just smoked, you, smoked weed and then fucked off in the night but actually I don't think that's fair to her in, yeah. what, in the actual thing that I saw
1: there's, there's definitely something endearing about her as well. Like, mm. not to sound gross or anything, but she's definitely kind of cute. I know, in no, she's definitely, yeah. Definitely. Like, and I think sometimes that kind of free-spirited kind of nature of like not giving a fuck is kind of... It's endearing. To a point, it's definitely endearing. I reckon after yeah. a while it'd get a bit annoying, but there's definitely yeah. like... Like, everyone is interested by someone who's mysterious. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. You don't, you can't kind of pigeonhole. Doesn't play by society's society's, rules, yeah. And there's definitely it's a little different,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. When,
1: when if you find the truth, you might be a bit disappointed. But like,
2: and you get the kind of the difference in this that Yolanda really romanticizes her. She constantly goes on about how free she is, and she's jealous of her freedom. And it's you're watching it going, she isn't free. This is bad. Like Mm. she's she's struggling at the, the the. end of everything you know like she she might think she's free but there is no freedom to her like there is that she can't choose
1: anything really it's, it's worth it? pointing out that it's it's set in the winter isn't it so it's getting colder yeah and where it's like in the kind of the wine region of yeah it's like france.
2: south west france yeah i think it's a reason i don't know very well at all um but yeah it's, it's very wine french region.
1: it's like it's you know it's you're not in paris like you know like in 400 blows or whatever you're definitely in like
2: you're not in like tourist france you know like you you're not in like the beautiful things i know about france it's a very harsh area of france especially during the winter you know it's a uh, i mean did we even say like the start the basically the start of the film opens up with her dead in a ditch you know yeah. like um and the you know the police come and they very methodically just kind of like measure her take photos put her in a body bag zip it up and they talk about some things there she's covered in wine stains and stuff like that she hasn't got anything with her she's got no ID no bags like they say she's died of exposure that shot of her lying in the ditch as well I just thought was really Striking. She's like yeah. the way she's posed is really kind
1: of. Well, it's, art, it's the you know. it's the way they put her on the stretcher and you know obviously rigor voice yeah. are set in, and her, her body is just stiff. stiff. Yeah. And I assume they haven't got a a fake dummy to do that. It's obviously. The yeah, I assume
2: it, she was just keeping herself stiff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it was very yeah. good.
1: It's not like the X Files where you see like people being on your autopsy table and you can see their yeah. Adam's apple moving or you know, because <laughs> they're like.
2: It was it's it's unforgiving isn't it the yeah, way yeah, it showed totally. her dead like. and
1: then, like, I won't mention X-Files on. again I promise
2: <laughs> <laughs> but then like a, a narrator comes on which is actually Varda herself so it's the director oh, okay. and she, she says like no one claimed the body she had died of natural death without leaving a trace but people she had met recently remembered her those witnesses helped me to tell the last few weeks of her last winter uh, she left a mark on them but I know little about her myself but it seems that she came from the sea and like, and then it cuts to her coming out of the sea.
1: So that's like meant to be like, like her introduction to the... Yeah, it's like it's, a fairy tale, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, almost, like, yeah.
2: And she is, she's naked in the sea, but she's bathing, you know, like... Um, it's not leery either, it. it's all from the distance. No, it's, you don't, you it's don't not leery like at all. Like, it's the weird thing, actually, it's one of the only Vada films I've ever seen that's not got sex scenes in it as well. She does, you know, she hooks it with, like, the guy from the garage and stuff like that, but she's she doesn't shoot sex in the way Varda shoots all sex in all of other films. Um, which it's one of the best things is actually looking the way Varda shoots sex and then is to teach people what female gaze is. In right. Films. It's, I mean, like, it's shot so completely different.
1: When you see there's another topless bit and it's just a woman oh, coming yeah. out of the shower, but it's just, they're just having a conversation, aren't they?
2: Yeah. She's just yeah. coming out of the shower, guys. It's, it's J.J. Story. Abrams it's just yeah. a of clothes <laughs> what? I, mean, I was, why that shot in it's the worst anyway <laughs> and uh, like that kind of set there I think with, with Varda is I like the bit that like, I know little about her myself it is admitting that like the film isn't going to tell you about her it's just about like how she died and like and I don't normally like those framing things I've said it a number of times before that I hate when a film set flashback And this film technically is entirely flashback. But it's almost like the first time this has worked for me, or one of the few times this has worked for me, that knowing the ending helped the film for me. And to the point even when, like, you're right at the end of the film, she's lost all her bags because of the, the fire. She doesn't have anything else but a blanket. She then wanders into that weird cult ritual in that like little town
1: village when they're chucking, yeah, I mean, like wine cloths. The each, kids are clearly having fun like hiding. Yeah, she's meant people. to be but, fun, yeah. But yeah. she's not a in on she's, what's going on and she's terrified, isn't
2: she like? And and the costumes that, like you said that they're that's wearing.
1: where the that's where the innocence comes in like, you know. Yeah. She's no longer this tough as fuck kind of
2: But, but she, also that film that scene for me was terrifying as well because I know she's getting drenched of wine. She's getting wet so you know in the what's winter. Coming. She can't dry herself yeah. and I know she dies covered in wine stains. Like I know that basically they just served her a death sentence yeah. by doing this to her. Like and you don't want it to happen. You're like you you're fighting against the film even though I know exactly what happens. You're like someone do something. Like she doesn't deserve this. Like I, I've watched her last few weeks she might be a difficult person but she doesn't deserve the fate that I know is coming it works, the film works in that way that I don't think it always those framing references do work actually I think sometimes it ruins the flow of a film but I think in this it, it actually made it better for me, it made a better viewing experience I think So well, it's a Citizen Kane model isn't it but
1: whatever so after she's been with her boyfriend or whatever in this kind of dilapidated like mansion place like what's which one's after that is it the is it the goat herder or is it
2: yeah i think it's the goat herding then i think
1: what i like about that scene as well like we're talking about like the editing and you know the elliptical editing and that like there's a bit where so she gets in a car you don't see any interaction with the Mm. i think it was just as she's about to say something it cuts And then it cuts to like the end of the journey and it's literally a sign that says no trespassing. So normally in a film, it will say, you know, farm here or whatever. It will tell you where, you know, it's all about kind of visual storytelling, about showing you. Set up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is literally like, no, you cannot pass it. (laughs) And then the next shot is her like going into the the barn where there's like about a (laughs) hundred (laughs) goats. Yeah. Well, I love how she's got like, the balls just to walk into a place going, got any jobs? <laughs> you
2: know? I know. But does that tell you that someone in the car said, oh, this guy up here, he'll pick up, you know, waifs and strays. He'll let M- you live Yeah, on exactly. His yeah, it must be something like is that. Is like. that what she learned? Or, you know, is this someone, Is was she always heading here? You know, yeah. like has she been heading here for a while? There's something about that no trespass sign that she doesn't care about. So at some point she's been told this, but we, as a viewer, we don't know. What that is, it's not been set up in a way that we know why she's going through here. Um, which, yeah, that's a choice, isn't it? A way to show a a story.
1: But this guy is very good to it, like, he offers a land. He offers because she says, I've always dreamt about having my own potato. Yeah, it's one of the only times
2: we see her actually expressing a want. Yeah, but or or do you think that's just
1: more of a flippant comment that kind of he takes as kind of like. Takes two literally, she, and then...
2: She doesn't know what she wants. She's yeah. 17.
1: Exactly, she's like, yeah.
2: You know, like, she's 17 and homeless. Like, it's, she doesn't know what she wants. She And, of course, at that point, you go, oh, if I had a field, I'd grow some potatoes, I could live a good life. Of course she thinks that, but she doesn't know what that means. And, like, for the first time in weeks, she got given a bed. Yeah, she's like, given, I, like, a I, caravan
1: I'm, and... Uh...
2: I, I can't believe, like, even though... The guy's not wrong, but, like, I can't believe you're having a go at her for sleeping in when she's been, like, living homeless for fucking weeks. Like, yeah, but I,
1: like, <laughs> These people, like, my parents are like it, and there's a lot of farmers around here and stuff. They literally get up at four in the morning, and they work <laughs> until about t- twelve at night. Like, I'm not joking, it's yeah. just, like, it's non-stop, and um, that's their mentality. They're just, you know... It's, yeah. It's... Their it was life just a clash of two different people, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think she's I, against work because later on you see her on the um, yeah you know, the wine she, the, you know when she's learning her craft she's I'm sure she'd get on with it.
2: I think she just found I think I think what she found about the goat herd is difficult is they were condescending to her yeah um, and I think I think I got I got the feeling that that's something she struggles with is you know like she. She doesn't want people to talk down to her like a stupid girl. You know, she's fed up with this. Like, well, yeah, maybe being doing that to her, like
1: being offered the field, was she took that as like a, a bit. You know, of I'd, I'd, off. I don't like, want to be. Yeah, given, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be. Yeah, given, I don't want your. You know your. I don't want charity, charity, like yeah. in that
2: way, kind of thing. Like she, she'll take what she needs, like in the way that you know the champagne scene when she's just happily downing the bottle of champagne.
1: Isn't it crazy? Like a film like this, that on the surface is just simple film about the homeless girl, but it's got so much kind of,
2: Death so much it, in it. Yeah. It's, it's like it sat with me continuously. You know, you, you've
1: got all these giant blockbuster films which has everything going on, like on screen but says nothing and it's it's
2: just, it's just so funny <laughs> there's um, there's a re- really good bit there's a really good bit in the goat f- There's a, sorry there's a really good line that she gives back to the goat herder guy that she says we both live in dirt you just work more which I okay. thought was such a good like fuck you <laughs> like you know we both fucking stink we're both dirty we both live like with a bit of heating coals like you just work your ass off for it and I don't <laughs> like we've achieved the same thing. You know, she's kind of wrong a little bit, but she's you know that's a she's kind of right you know I, like she
1: tell you what she funny. wouldn't like, she wouldn't be able to smoke as much now if this film was made now like the price of cigarettes <laughs> the, and the tobacco price of and it. stuff. she'd be like.
2: I couldn't believe when she was trying to make a spliff and like the, 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 the dregs of like little bits of leaf and, and stuff like that she was trying to make like a spliff from was so like, I felt it very relatable. <laughs> Just yes. like the bits at the bottom of a tobacco pouch, like the dust that could like blow away in a second. And she was smoking that all the time. Thought that was a really nice, realistic touch to it all.
1: And then after this is this where oh no cause is this where they steal, she steals the cheese and she meets like a um
2: I really like that scene where she meets the prostitute or I should say sex oh, look worker. I love the fact sorry, the sex yeah, like, the
1: sex worker just Yeah. buys the cheese off.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Oh yeah, I'll buy some night's ghost cheese. This is France after all. <laughs> now piss off, I've got to work." Yeah, piss off! You're letting the, the customers won't like you around there. Like, I really liked that interaction. They understood each other. Like they were talking to each other on the same wa- wavelength. Totally, I thought that was really good. That's when um, I loved. So she gets picked up by the kind of uh lecturer, kind of like the the person from the college, the tree lady, and um, the tree lady. Yeah, and the, all that. I, all that kind of conversation that we're having back and forth I just loved like there was a bit like well where do you keep your money and she pulls a bra open and says I have a pocket like and and indicates down atop. top she, and then she just she's given them that kind of crunchy bread that they're sharing in the car and she just goes this would go really well with a beer and the next cut is them having a beer so I, I assume then,
1: like, that, that she's con- she's travelling to an event isn't she like to a, to yeah, like a lecture yeah, or something or an event and yeah but there's like...
2: something to do with and something about the tree fungus yeah. that's a part of that.
1: I love like, the bit where she comes out she comes out with a bottle of champagne. It's so good. And she's like, What did she say to her? She's like, Why didn't you carry on with your studies or something? Yeah. Well, why I, did you drop out? And she says, Well, I wouldn't be able to enjoy champagne on the road if I didn't, or yeah. something something to that effect.
2: She just says champagne on the road is better. Yeah, some, yeah. Which I love that I was like, Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and um like I'd lo- that comes back later where she meets, I think it's the farmer at the winery that she's working on. And she happens to passively mention to him that his crates are full of tree fungus that's killing of the trees.
1: Yeah, so she's learned.
2: And, like, and it was like the whole time you thought that she wasn't really listening to the lecture. Or she was kind of like, there's a bit when she literally falls asleep, like halfway through a sentence, like... But actually, she was listening. She is smart. She did pick up stuff. Like she was, she did care about the fact that this lecturer was nice to her. You know, like, um, and and gave her stuff. She did actually that meant something to her. She just didn't show it, and she doesn't show it very well. But that later on, that she manages to go, oh, you know, your your crates were full of like fungus and stuff. It means that she was paying attention, and it did matter to her. Do you so think though,
1: a, like, this lady was t- treating her a bit like not a pet as such, but kind of? I, d- I don't know, mm. like, because obviously it's later on she realises, oh, I should have done more to help her or something, you
2: know. Yeah, she gets proper guilt about it.
1: There's that really th- strange scene though.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was about to mention it, but like, it, the weird thing about this is what we're kind of bouncing around as well is that all these stories actually do interact a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they all do feed off each other. And again, because of the editing, we don't see all the connecting parts, but we. We end up learning that, like Yolanda and and the and the kind of the grad student of the lecturer know each other kind of stuff. Like, they they do all tie into stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, there's so the there's an older lady that she kind of we'll, she goes that we'll get that. to <laughs> But who are the kind of not punk kids, but there's that kind of yeah the guy who so
2: Yolanda's boyfriend friend, is yeah. the, like the street roughs yeah. Like, the street gang who are like robbing the the castle at the start. Yeah. And they beat up the guy with the chain around his neck. Then later on, the guy with the chain around his neck comes back later and tries to get money from the guys that she's staying with at the end of the film. So they all kind of know each other somehow. There's like, you could tell the story differently showing there, you know, like a different editor, a different filmmaker would have shown that explicitly that all this kind of community, these vagabonds, these homeless people, they do know each other and they do. Yeah is a smaller community than we think. That's why I was saying I don't think
1: she, she travels that far because they're all still yeah. around the area, aren't they? And that so, yeah.
2: But, yeah, uh, she, they're talking about that she has a near-death experience, the lecture, when she she um grabs... <laughs> I don't know what she was doing. I don't know why she grabbed both lights. Maybe that's how you turn them on, I don't know. But, but uh, she, gra- she grabs the lights and electrocutes herself.
1: I mean, it looked ridiculous, but I imagine in real life if that's, you know, it's... You know, in a film they normally set it up like a big thing that you'll yeah. see like a you know, a wire that's kind of broken or something like that. <laughs> sure, so it kind of all yeah. set up. Whereas in this it's just like it happens, which, you know, you think in real life that's probably kind of I guess it is. What yeah. does happen, yeah, you know. It probably does it's just look a lit- ridiculous.
2: It was a little bit, it felt a little fantastical somehow, even though it was just a person getting electrocuted. But it still felt a little fantastical for the film I was watching. I feel like I need
1: to add some kind of, like, Star Wars effects to it. Like, some, like, animated (laughs) electricity going down her body. (laughs) Yeah, like a skeleton body, like...
2: (laughs) But yeah, she asks her grad student then to go, like, like, go find her if you find her, like, like, bring her back because I could have actually done more for her than I did. Because you know she i think she says she lied about leaving the area i think that's where she says she got rid of her she said that i was leave i, I pretended i was leaving the area but actually i wasn't um and, and i feel bad about that so go find her and that's the kind of that comes back later where in the train station where um mona ends up hooking up with these these proper kind of like homeless people they're junkies and she starts getting into the kind of drugs and alcohol more um so when this grad student sees her in the train station, she sees her absolutely fucked. She can't walk. Her clothes are falling off her. Like she can't do her boots up anymore. That's a big thing. And um, she he just rejects her at that point. She's like too much of trouble. She's too difficult to deal with. She's too like uh, out there. And he just pretends he never saw her. Yeah. And at that point, if he did see her and did take her home, he would have saved her life as well. That was the point that she needed saving, and the guy that could have saved her just didn't didn't yeah, which I think which is a bit key, really, <laughs> but I think like before that, like the thing that I think I found really touching is the the um Tunisian guy on the kind of wine the vineyard, yeah, who offers he her ser- a job and then kind of yeah, and like you don't really realize why he kind of he didn't turn her back on her, but why he so quickly rejected her kind of at the end but she stays with him for a while uh they, they you know they're working on the farm they're snipping the vines uh they're cooking together and like you have some quite tender moments of like of them just interacting like holding the hands kissing the hands stuff like that and things um you can tell that i think it's the moment that n- I think it's the moment, the moment that Mona got lost was the fact that she kind of had a heartbroken a little bit in this situation, that she, 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 became comfortable. She saw a fa- like a future of herself here or something that she could stay here for a while, live off the worst of the winter here or something, and then that rejection, from uh, Asun, I think his name was, just kind of made made a slip into like the worst habits of herself, like slip yeah. into the alcohol, slip into stuff. She couldn't quite handle the kind of, the fact that she kind of had, she kind of had like, I don't know, desires or something at some point. You know, she got comfortable for two seconds and that's what killed her.
1: Almost. Yeah. I was going to say, like the shoe things, like, you know, her shoes are like her, like they're, they're like falling apart. Yeah, her shoes. falling
2: apart. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I am... Um, the little shot at the end of the film when you see Asan come back and he's like just got the scarf that he lent her that she kind of rejects and he just kind of just like silently like lifts it up and like sniffs it a little bit and silently like just puts it back and he doesn't say anything he doesn't explain that he misses her or anything like that or any lines or anything it's just completely silent that was just so well done that would like hit all the emotions i was feeling right then like knowing that you can imagine the conversation they had as you know a documentary maker or whatever you can imagine all the stuff around that that led to that shot and to just drop that in i thought that was incredibly effective totally but the the one story that i keep saying we'll get to the uh to the old lady
1: <laughs> yeah she's she's a great character
2: so like um Yolanda is like a caretaker to like an older lady who lives in a giant house um she says she's nearly blind or something like that and she's also yolanda, the like,
1: the the aunt of the of the the grad, grad student. student yeah who, yeah, who yeah, basically yeah. wants her house basically <laughs> it's so
2: good so like yolanda brings her there yolanda has to go for whatever reason so um mona puts on her apron and kind of pretends to be her cuz the aunt won't notice and um they like the aunt notices is not her but not immediately it takes her quite a while to realize it's not her and um she just goes who are you you gave me a little bit of a fright there and doesn't react like angrily or scared or anything she's just like you gave me a little bit of fright you're not lander who are you and so she just offers her the brandy and they just sit down and start like chatting and talking and like this scene is so fucking good that it's like these two people incredibly different generations who are both basically Alienated outcasts in their own way, mm-hmm. like um, like unlike Mona, this she has like this huge house and, and money and stuff. But she's probably just she as lonely. Was, but <laughs> yeah. she's just as lonely, yeah. Like she rings her bell and fucking Yolanda comes, but like she doesn't do it out of any idea of friendship or anything. She does it, and her family only come and to kind of just like keep up airs. Really, uh, they're just waiting for her to die, like you said, and. Mona and her just connect and they start joking about stuff and what is it the old late like um, Mona says to her that like your nephews are all bad or something she's just waiting for you to die to get your stuff and she bursts out laughing and and she feels that she... she she knows that like and she does an impression of him coming with the flowers like like Aunt Liddy like uh, you look so good or something and yeah, yeah, yeah. and and she just like doesn't. You're looking very well today, just, or something. You're looking very well, yeah, yeah. And they just burst out laughing, and the laughing feels so real to me. Like they, it, it goes to a point when it feels like they, you know, they meant to laugh in the script, and then it kind of switched, you know. And then just these these two people sharing some brandy who would never meet in any kind of real way. You know, their lives are completely different, but they shared a connection uh, because. You know, they're both incredibly lonely people who have been rejected from society in their own way. Just, just that scene just got to me so much.
1: It's very well done yeah totally. And we
2: um, I mean, we've kind of gone through the last bits now. Like, yeah, she um, she gets in with some people who want to pimp her out. She gets more into drugs and stuff like that. She ends up having to like leave her stuff after a fire, so she ends up wandering the streets with just a blanket. She gets coated in wine because of a weird celebration, and she ends up in a very, very, very cold night. Just stumbling, and she kind of just like she starts coughing a little bit, and she's drenched, and it starts to rain, and she's got nowhere to go, and she just kind of stumbles and kind of just gives up. Yeah, she like, just feels like she gives up, and that's it. Now. Yeah, <laughs> I can't be bothered. She just hits this ditch, and she just feel like the life drains out of her. Basically, the the fight is gone, or something, and that's the end of the film. And it was a gut punch for me, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. To be honest, I'm really glad you yeah. put it on the the list because I'd, I've, you know, I wouldn't have ever have heard of this film or probably never sure. have watched it, and I'm just just glad to have watched it. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, yeah, me too. The only thing, like, I think they work with the film, but I, like I said, I'm I'm not a massive fan of people talking to the camera, and but that's fair. But but it's, it it worked though for the film. But it's still it's like it's like in old, in punk rock songs when they put like uh, film clips in or they have like a spoken <laughs> yeah, word yeah. bit in it. Like it just kind yeah. of takes me out of the song a little bit. It kind of that's what this does for me in film. So but but of all the ones that have done it, this is this it's done it to the the that's- best effects, I think.
2: I like I I really like that. It's like I hate it when rock bands there was an era of putting film clips in but then there's like a couple of um jawbox songs or drawbox yeah, the, the, There's this always when it works. the exception, like, you know. Yeah. You can never you can not
1: just do a blanket statement and say it's all bad but like but this is one of the good ones that does it, it's still not the, yeah. it's still not how I would have done it but you know yeah. not Agnes ha- ha- Anya Savada and, uh, <laughs> she, she can do what the fuck she wants. She can.
2: And she did. And she I mean, did. That's, that's the that's the end that's the statement of her career. She yep. did what the fuck she wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and she's better for it as well. Totally. But that was great, yeah. I'm I mean I'm I was five stars. I debated four and a half, but I was I was just like, fuck it, I was five stars. I'm four and a
1: half, five, I think. Yeah, it's very good. Very, very good. Oh that was
2: okay. I don't know why I just said okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so what are we talking about? Well, it won't be next week, I think, like we said earlier. If we said it on this recording, I can't remember. But uh, we're going to go to fortnightly. So what are we going to talk about next time? So, um,
2: so yeah, uh, we're, we're going to have some levity, I think, compared to, like, this film. But uh, we're going to do, is it Zuckers? Abraham Zuckers, one of, their, one of their last films they did as a trio. And uh, Ruthless People with uh, uh, Danny DeVito and Bette Midler, I think it is. So, awesome, that should be quite fun.
1: I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, um, thank you very much for listening, especially to our Norwegian and Swedish listeners. You know, thank you. It's not Swedish. This it's is Swiss. not Swedish. What is it? Swiss? Isn't that a Swiss. joke? That's from the thing, isn't it? Oh no. Is it? Damn Swedes. They're Norwegian. Mac. that's, that's, that's <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on you know whatever platform you listen to us on. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter, we are at adjust your track, that's with a YR, not a your. And yeah, don't forget, if the pitch is bad, always adjust your tracking.